Goodbye. Me, I'm Bizarro St. Mike. Me, I'm host of Bizarro Attack of Killer Podcast. This am intro to show. So do not listen as we talk about non-horror films on this episode called Directing Outside Horror. Not on episode of Bizarro Attack of Killer Podcast. Attention planet Earth and beyond. Stay tuned for Attack of the Killer Hey everybody, sorry about that, uh, but things are back to normal, well, as Ish. normal as this show gets, yeah. yeah. I am Insane Mike, your host of Attack of the Killer podcast, and this is episode 176, entitled, Directing Outside Horror? But this is a horror podcast, Mike. I know! This episode, we have picked three classic horror directors. Uh-huh. But we've picked movies from their filmography that are made outside of our beloved genre. So it's, we're kind of cheating. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. And if you don't like it, it's Tad's fault. It was his idea. <clears throat> but these movies rule, so I don't know how you couldn't like it. That's true. So normally Attack of the Killer podcast is a horror movie podcast where a group of friends get together and talk about, well, horror movies, but not this time. Um... So we talk freely, so there may be spoilers. Uh, there will be spoilers. There will be. Count on it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, if you are a fan of the show, um, you can be part of the club by supporting our Patreon. Go to patreon.com backslash AOTKP. Uh, when you support our Patreon, you get all kinds of extra content from bonus episodes, special videos, exclusive show called Insane Mike's One Minute Top Ten List, and so much more. And you can be part of the elite... Much like Seth Key and Jessica Irish, two new of our, our two new Patreon supporters. How cool are those two? They are so Yay. cool. Thanks, Seth. So, Thanks, so right Jessica. now, I'd like to give them a very, very, very special thank you. Thanks. So to be as cool as Seth and Jessica, go to <laughs> patreon.com backslash AOTKP. So cool. Do you want to say anything else about the Patreon supporters before I move on? Oh, man. It was a hot week on Patreon. We got, like, three new supporters all of a sudden. Yeah. Uh, it's really exciting. We met. We're, uh, we surpassed cool. our first goal, and we're working on our second goal, money-wise. Money and uh, it's so freaking awesome. And, man, I just I can't, I can't say enough how much it helps and is only going to help the show if we can get get some more people signed up because i mean even just a dollar a month goes so much if we get all our friends to just put in a dollar man we'd be really cooking and spreading the good word of aotkp okay step one getting some friends step two getting them to uh do i what i thought it was khakis but anyway <laughs> yeah get the khakis then you get the chicks um <clears throat> so again and you could get special shout-outs on the show as sure well can. if you're a Patreon supporter, much like Seth and Jessica has this episode. Uh-huh. But thanks again, guys. Thank you so much. So yeah. awesome. And if you love our show, you'll love all the other amazing shows on our very own podcast network called the Prescribed Films Podcast Network. 
The Prescribed Films Podcast Network features shows discussing all sorts of different different levels of pop culture. Shows like Midnight Snacks, Land of the Creeps, All About Movies, Fiasco Brothers Watch a Movie, Sorry Bye Podcast, My Bleeding Ears, The Bloody Hook Podcast, The Atomic Way of Cheese, The Horror Cast, The Gore Score, and Campfire Indoctr- Indoctrination. You can check out all those shows. <laughs> and ours. Take a already, knee on that one. What's that? Thought you were going to have to take a knee on that one. <laughs> Yeah. Well, so we need more right shows now. just to see if you can pass out. <laughs> if you have a show out there and you want me to pass out, um, anyway. <laughs> so if you go, you can check out all the shows at thepfpn.com. That's thepfpn.com. I also want to take a moment and mention our our sponsor, Shudder! Sure. Shudder is the premium streaming video service for horror fans of all shapes and sizes. Shudder has a unique collection of exclusive and original films and series, horror classics, blockbuster hits, and so much more. Only $4.99 a month, or $49.99 a year, you can stream Shudder on most devices like your iPhone, Roku, Xbox One, Fire Stick, so many more. And now, just for you, the Attack of the Killer podcast listener... You can get a month for free! Free? That's right, free. If you go to shutter.com backslash podcast, enter the promo code AOTKP. That's right, you will get a month on us for free! You're welcome. So worth it. Man, what a great channel. It is. I, you know, I, I, anytime I turn on the Roku... It's like one of the first things Absolutely. I do is I search. I just go and <laughs> just search through Shutter for a little bit. <clears throat> Even if I go on there to like, okay, I'm gonna sit down. It's time to watch this show. I need to catch up on my shows on Netflix or whatever. But no, I go to Shutter first just to check it out, see what see what I'm missing. So again, get that month on us for free by going to Shutter.com/backslash/podcast. Enter the promo code AOTKP. And now it's that time of the show where I introduce you to the podcast crew. When he pulls out his several balls out of his pants, some, something completely different happens. Andy Wassum, everybody. <laughs> uh, just be thankful I don't say boy. <laughs> Very grateful. Yeah, I think we're all grateful. Very grateful for that. <laughs> Thank you. <clears throat> well, the little boys are grateful, too. He was fired from the Traveling Knights on Motorcycle Stunt Show because he ended up going around and around circles, making him late for each show. His night name was Cir- uh, Circulate. Tad Good, everybody! Oh my god, that's bad. Yeah, it's pretty bad. You're Hi. welcome. Hey. <laughs> and lastly, I think he's just happy because we are finally getting to talk about a freaking love story on the show. Jason Bollinger. Hot damn. Pretty excited. Yay. What's up, everybody? Thanks for listening. Love is cool. <laughs> I'm a sucker. Sorry. Not sorry. Is this episode going to be out by Valentine's Day? Yeah. Sure. Yes. It will now. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to turn it over to Tad. Well, yeah, first, before I, I get into my segment, I just wanted to say, you know, the bizarro version of you would be sane, Mike, right? Right. <laughs> isn't that what I said? Or, <laughs> wait, isn't that what bizarro me said? I don't I don't remember. I thought you didn't. Anyways, <clears throat> let's kick off with uh, what we watched. 
I don't think I really need to explain this, but if you've never listened before, this section, this segment of the podcast, we just go around and talk about what we've watched since we last recorded that isn't part of the episode. And since we're not doing horror this week, you know, this this could be interesting because this might be the only horror talk we have. But I have a feeling we're gonna we're still gonna get on the topic of uh, horror movies. Yeah. So can't help it. I I think I already know yours, Jason. But I'm I'm just gonna go with you first. What did you watch? Okay. Well, believe it or not, I know you're sitting down. Thank goodness. But I only saw one movie since the last. What? Well, I've only seen one horror-ish movie since since I've seen other ones. But uh, the one I watched. Glass. Yes, me too. I just watched it it. yesterday. Awesome. Well, can I tag team with Jason on this one? Because this is the only thing I got a chance to watch. (laughs) Andy said, "Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. You guys can chat it up about it." I'm curious to hear what you guys have to say. Andy, did you see it yet? I have not. No. Okay. Ted, did you? He did. Yeah, I saw it opening night, and he gave it a mediocre review. I remember. Yeah. Well, this is interesting. Okay, so go ahead and start us out, Jason. Well, here's the thing. Where do I start? Um, I liked it. I, I we should probably start by saying everybody out there, if they if they don't know by now, Jason Jason and I are two of the biggest M Night Shyamalan fans, but Some days I feel like we're the last two. Some t- well, not any ever since the visit it's gotten better. Yeah. Um, I've never left. But yeah, and he's bit. far more even purist than I am, you know, because uh, there's there's just some there's some in his filmography, or at least one in his filmography, that I don't like. But uh, Jason loves them all, so I do, and I love this one. I don't even want to say but I just know that <laughs> like I just know. Just- <laughs> just uh, say ass ass <laughs> that's what i want to say because i i thought i would walk away being head over heels for it and i don't know that i was i uh not that i read reviews or anything but maybe afterwards i'm like oh now i can finally see what people are saying about it and it seemed like people either fucking hated it or or like they, they really liked it i didn't see a lot of in between except for Ted's review and uh so i'm like well shit I didn't hate it. I liked it a lot. But I maybe I'm just weirded out that I didn't love it as much as I thought I would. I'm not even sure why. I, I, I think, one, you didn't see it with me. That's probably what it was. Because every time we walk out of an M. Night movie, we're just, yeah. just going off about it for hours. It was the first one we didn't get to see together, yeah. probably. And Well, wait, um, that's not true. Because the one that I don't like... I didn't see with you, so maybe there is some there stock in could that. Be. Well, let's make a pact from here on out. That's right. Um, I liked a lot of stuff about it. Um, I was so, I just, I, my, I just didn't think ahead. But like, soon as Bruce's son showed up, I'm like, "Fuck, that's right, the kid. That's awesome." Now, was it the same actor? Because yeah, because it wasn't until like they showed that one scene of the kid in bed, the the flashback scene from Unbreakable with the kid in bed, and he's like, "I, I won't tell oh, your secret dad or whatever." Immediately, that's like when I'm like, kid. "Oh my god, it looks just like him." So it's either the same guy or they got somebody that looks it really has close. To be. I, it looked it looked exactly like that yeah. kid to me. Yeah. So well, because cool. I'm sitting through half of the movie thinking, 
I wonder if it's the same actor because they hadn't <laughs> shown those flashback scenes yet. Yeah. So. <clears throat> well, I loved it that it was because who knows what he'd done between then and now. I know, right? I haven't looked yet, um, but it was. I was so happy to see him and the character and to see the relationship him and Bruce had. That was cool, and I agree with you. We had a little pre-talk before this. <laughs> Can't help it. We tried not to. <laughs> I know. Too, and then it turned into like 20 minutes But I, I kind of with you. I wished we had more more of them f- fighting crime together. We just didn't, you know, it was just kind of in the beginning. I mean, that was my biggest complaint, or maybe the, the, the thing I was nervous Wanting right more out of is the, not a bad thing. What's that? Wanting more isn't a bad thing. No, I just, but even more than that, though, it just felt like, the beginning was really rushed. I get it. The whole point of the story is getting them to the hospital and all that time spent in the hospital. And once they get to the hospital, it's gold. I mean, I loved every minute of it from there. But but that moment of getting there was just—it just felt so forced, like so, like we're rushing to get there. And oh, it felt like your normal cold open first act thing to me. Okay, but. And then maybe I mean, you're right. Maybe it was, was just wanting to see more. Yeah, well, yeah, you want them to fight and go on and gone, and because the fight was awesome, and the cheerleaders are like, "Are they? What's happening?" And they get anyway. Don't want to do any spoilers for Andy, but um, yeah, and uh, Glass smart and cool, and they're, uh, the big fight at the end was freaking awesome in the parking lot, and. The the reveal, just how it ends, is I, I ended up liking it instantly. I wasn't upset about any of the ending. I was like, whoa, I just like that's those, pretty freaking awesome. But I just I just like those. I could see it bumming those, people out. But. You know, well, I explained it before. It's like the comic book guy in me didn't want it to go down like that for those characters. But I think more than that, I think I just love and involved in those characters so much that I didn't want to see that happen. McAvoy is a fucking stud again. Again. There's at least two scenes where they're like literally he's going from character to character to character with no cutaways and he's just going from one to another and it's just like holy shit he's fucking awesome. And this is where I think the guy is I mean he's getting up there quickly as one of my favorite actors um, but it's mostly because of these two movies, the Split and Glass, because I'm a huge fan. I'm a huge fan of acting, like physical acting, over over um, vocal acting. Like I, I need to see f- physicality in the character, uh, and um, and whatnot. So when he would switch characters, switch personalities throughout this movie, I could tell which character he was which personality he was before he said a single word and that's testimony to his physicality in the performance that's that's pretty cool how he can go from like you know of course the beast you know or you know to the little meek little boy or you know the 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 woman or whatever and yeah, yeah i i agree um i only not the it's not a complaint, but my only—I was just the 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 split girl storyline seemed a little—I don't know—forced, forced in there. Yeah, I just didn't know what it was for a while. 
Like really, and I if I, they're really doing Sten Hall or what's really happening with this, all this storyline. I can I can I I can be fine with what her character did and the road she took in this movie. I just needed to see her go down that road. And I don't know if that's the fault of this movie or Split or if we needed a whole story in between there. I liked what you said though like every one of the characters uh comic book character superheroes villains has a normal person sidekick kind of yeah. in their story and that's kind of neat i mean very significant you know bruce has the son and glass has his mom and so i don't remember the character's name ever but the split guy has this um, girl and horde that's what i kept wanting to call him in our earlier conversation oh, yeah. i was going to refer to him as the horde the whole time right but uh yeah um i continue to love m night and think it's mm-hmm. great, and I look forward to watching it again. I think it'll be it'll only get better with more watches. So I was just probably just sad Mike wasn't there, and that's what happened. I think that's what it was, man. Yep, but that's what I watched. Same here. That's all I had a chance to watch too. <laughs> Did you know that uh, the mom, um, Sam Jackson, the his mom in the movie is like five years, actually five years younger than him. <laughs> well, I've always been able to tell she's heavily makeuped. Yeah, the actress yeah. is five yeah. years younger, but Sam always, you know, Sam looks way younger than he is too. So, yeah, he's got good genes. But I mean, I guess we don't ever know what Mister Glass's age is. If he's supposed right. to be the same age as Bruce or not, he can just. I I would I I was trying to write it off in my head because I had that moment of like. Even with makeup on, she looks younger than Samuel Jackson in this movie, and this is mom. So I was I was feeling it into my head of like because of his bone disease, it aged him. Yeah, it okay. physically looks, aged him too. He looks pretty mm-hmm. haggard there at the end. Yeah, I also loved uh, the when they would uh, piece in clips from the other two movies. I liked that. Did you like I, that? I liked it. Do you yeah. like with that one reveal about the horde? And about the Horde's father mm-hmm. and how they matched that to the opening shot of Unbreakable. Yeah, I liked it. I liked they, all uh, the tie-in. They used un, like deleted and uh, unused yep. footage from Unbreakable in it, which is cool. Oh, that's, that's really cool. cool. I didn't yeah, know that. I noticed that. I was stoked about that. Because it's been so long since I've seen Unbreakable, I assumed it was all yeah, yeah. from the film. And and how much for how much I didn't really love this movie, I loved the spirit of it. I loved that you know he used that un unused footage. Uh, I mm-hmm. love that he revisited this character so many years later. And I love the backstory that M Night uh, for the visit you know used his own money, and then for for Split you know he sort of had that comeback and Split he he. Used his own, put up his own money again, and then Split was a huge success, and the studios all wanted him back. And he sort of said, "You know, no, I'm still going to use my own money so that he got a better cut." Like he he gambled on the, these movies, and Glass is still the number one movie right this weekend. Awesome, good. It's I'm like, glad. It's, what yeah. is it like three or four weeks in a row? You know, and he's still yeah. killing it. And and he put like a, you know, he he got like a second mortgage on his house, basically gambling that wow. you know, this movie will do. 
well enough that I'll make my money back and good for him. You know, he gambled on yep. his, on his, in his own confidence and he won. So I think maybe that was, maybe that was just his problem there, you know, before the resurgence, he just had to get a, get out of the studio system. Yeah. Oh, he's still in the studio system. They're still universal movies. They're right. He sure. But it, he's obviously got far more control. Uh, well, I don't know. He seemed uh, to have always had control, but yeah. I don't know. There's some. There's some. Uh, there's there's always some mysterious negative influence from a studio, isn't there? Always. Isn't that we're always told. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which so that's what you guys watched, huh? Yeah. Yep. Well, we knocked those two out. Andy, what did you watch? <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually went and saw Escape Room. Oh, oh how was I it? I missed it oh, in theaters. Yeah. I wanted too. to see it. Yeah, same um, here. I I thought it was I thought it was okay. I could tell was, by the pause. I was like, right. uh, <laughs> I, the longer uh, the pause. The the rooms are very very um, elaborate and and disoriented, disorienting. Um, I thought that some of the character development was a little rushed. But I, I can forgive that because, you know, you, you kind of have to really get things going in a movie like this. Uh, but, you know, when you rush, you know, character development, when a person dies, it's less impactful to me. Um, I don't want to give uh, too, too much away, um, but... Let's see. Uh, the the rooms the rooms are done really well, and uh, but and but the thing is, the the person that constructed these rooms, they know things about the people's past, so they construct the rooms that way in order to make it more difficult for them. So it kind of screws with them psychologically. So it's it's kind of like in that respect, it's 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 sort of like it's saw-esque a little bit but it's nowhere near as gruesome i mean there is it's it's this isn't like a really gory movie uh the one problem that i have is that the the survivor or survivors i won't i won't spoil it um the this this movie could have ended like two or three times is is what my problem is it's they tried too hard to make it seem like oh we're totally making uh we're totally making another one of these you know we're we're gonna get we're gonna get this person this time this next time she he or she comes around and I thought man you know it's like you're you're trying too hard to pull us to pull us back in I was like if you make it it. It would have been okay if you just made it open ended and say, okay, if it does good enough, we'll make a sequel. But I mean, like they were, it seemed like they were, they were so sure of themselves that oh, we're totally gonna get them next time. So, uh, but the the traps were, the traps were cool, and the rooms were, you know, there's a there's an upside down like bar room. That's that I thought was really really cool, the w- the way they did that. And it was it was kind of it was a, even even just to watch it was disorienting. I mean I couldn't imagine like actually being in it because I mean it was like a it was like a rock stars party because everything was like upside down. It was like nailed to the ceiling and shit. And uh, 
yeah, they had to figure they had to figure out the the code of the room there, you know, because I've never I've never done this. Have you ever guys done uh, any escape rooms? No, nope. I I don't have the patience. I don't think what? I. Would. <laughs> What's that mean? Uh, I just don't. I think I would just be like. Well, this is horseshit. If I want to leave a room, just fucking leave the room, man. Like, <laughs> what, what's fun? What's fun about being stuck? That sucks. Yeah, yeah, and th- these th- these things are these rooms are, of course, you know, unbeknownst to the contestants beforehand, these rooms are lethal. Like, uh, do you guys want me to spoil what some of the rooms are, or do you just go? You want to watch it? Oh, I'll watch it, but you can say whatever you want. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I think some of them give it away in the trailer. Like, what one room is like literally turns into an oven, and some of the ways that they have to get out and un- unlock the doors. I mean, it's it's pretty. It's really well thought out. It's just, uh, yeah, man. I mean, it, it just seemed like it. It was okay. <laughs> it was it was okay. I did I didn't hate it, but I wasn't really really blowed away by it. And I guess what the other thing that I've been watching that's that's horror oriented is uh uh Castle Rock. Yeah. Man, I still need to watch that. Yeah, uh, I like the first or first two and then uh I think that was right around the time the Hill House came out and I was like I'm going to watch that instead and I felt like that sort of killed it like you know Everything was on Castle Rock for it was like the thing of the year, and then yep. Haunted Hill House came out and was like, Swoop. "What? What was that you were saying?" Yep, <laughs> kinda, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I like it. It's it's not like really. It's not like really spooky or anything. It's just really severely off-putting. I would say it's just like you get like, you know, like when you meet, you know, when, when you meet a person and you get like uh, a bad feeling about them, even though they're not like, uh, you know, they're not like really physically imposing or, you know, you're, you don't you don't feel threatened by them. It's just like you feel you just get bad juju from it. That's that's the vibe I get from this this show. That's like there's like a. Like a weird thing in the air, and that basically that's what Castle Rock is. It's just yeah. like it's, it's like bad things like really really happen, but I mean there's there's just like a like real nasty shit in the air. It's just it's, uh, and I don't I don't want to reveal re- reveal too much, but the the Stephen King references in this show are are of course. You know, pretty thick. I mean, if you, if you know where to look, uh, there are certain numbers that you will notice. There's certain... Uh, yeah, it's like, everywhere. I mean, some are subtle, some are not. Yeah, I mean, have you watched it? Or? Yeah, I've seen it. Oh, okay, yeah. There's, like, uh, there's newspaper clippings about a rabid dog. You know, uh, there's, there's a... There's a there's a character, there's a girl's character's name, and it's Jackie Torrance. I mean, if you if you can't pick up on that, then you're probably really not even a Stephen King fan. Uh, but th- those are the th- two I've been 
diving into. I've got like two more episodes left uh, of the second season, and <coughs> but yeah, just the fact that it's all kind of centered around Shawshank Prison—that's super cool. Yes, yes, of course. And yeah, yeah. I just, I was just. Well, my biggest takeaways is just whatever creepy ass shit's happening. It all feels like Stephen King, and that's just nice to have more of that. And with with without the Pennywise face paint or without it, I am continually, you know, the more I see of Bill Sarsgaard, yeah. the more I'm really liking because he's he's just he's really good at putting like all this creepy damn vibe yep. in this show. I mean, he's he's really good and um I like seeing Terry O'Quinn, the stepfather, oh, yeah. in this as well. I I always like to always like seeing him and stuff. Uh, it's and got Mike's course, Mike's girlfriend's in it. Which one? Uh, the one that was on Two and a Half Men, but it's in that. I don't want to oh. live here in this whatever that. Yeah, oh, right. the, the from um, Heavenly Creatures. Yeah, I love her. I know oh. Melanie. Um, can't think of her last name. Yeah, but it, it's a, <laughs> got a ski. <laughs> Um, Soon to be Saunders. Saunders ski. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, Scott Glenn, which is, I love, I, you know, him, him and this character and as stick, uh, I mean, come on, dude, what's not the love? But yeah, that's, that's what I've been mainly watching. That's horror related. Cool. Related. Excuse me. Awesome. Someone asked me what I watched. What'd you watch, buddy? (laughs) I watched... Velvet Buzzsaw on that. Damn it! I oh, wanted cool. to last night, didn't get to. Yeah, I was stoked for it. We actually had a Friday night sort of uh, off, so we put it on. Um, man, this one really—I'm conflicted on this one because had a lot of hype going into it for me. I yep. Nightcrawler might have been my favorite movie of that the year it came out. Pretty good. I fucking love Nightcrawler. Yep. Same director, same lead. I love Jake Gyllenhaal. I yeah. will never apologize for that. I think he's awesome in everything I've seen. And if there's something that I see him in that I might not like, I just avoid it. So I don't have to break that record. <laughs> but um, like, what was that like one he was in? Like, does There was like a Sandal and Swords movie he was in. It was like uh, Prince of Persia or some shit. Never watched that one. Oh, the but, video game one. Yeah, that one I think is the only one that I've really have truly avoided with him in it. But anyways, this one, man, I'm really sort of just confused on what I feel about it because it, as an artist, the movie basically is, um, it sort of smacks uh, high art in the face. It's basically a bunch of art dealers, like really uppity, snobby, yuppie, uh, art dealers that are sort of all out in this cutthroat, bus- cutthroat business trying to fuck each other by getting the latest hottest art and I'm not going to spoil anything because this is just you know this movie came out Friday so uh, and you know I, I do recommend everyone check it out it's on Netflix so no excuses mm. um, it the, the, I mean basically from the trailer you can tell that there's more to this artwork and you know suddenly the people who are dealing with a certain artist's work are passing away in gruesome ways um and 
from that alone, the trailer, the director, the 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 cast is awesome. It has uh, Tony Collette is the other lead in it. It has um, oh gosh, who else is in it? Um, John Malkovich is in it. Ooh, Rene know. Russo, right? Rene Russo. Yeah, the... they have a lot of fantastic people in this. But I think my one thing about it, like as being an artist, I sort of found the the uh, portrayals of these characters, and maybe I've, I've just never dealt with the super super high end art world. But they were such so stereotypical, like you know, like skinny jeans, no socks with loafers. Um, they all wore like black flame <laughs> black frame glasses. They all wore like turtlenecks. Uh, you know, hipsters. Absolutely, like the worst, the worst of the worst. Like, yeah. you know, and it just felt like you know every character was so exaggerated in that tone. Where it was, I one one I just did not. There was no single character in this movie that I wanted to live. I hated everybody. Mm-hmm. They all suck and they're all assholes and they're all <laughs> they're all backstabbing each other. And you got to give me somebody to root for, you know. I uh, agree. With you. Yeah, it's just like. You know, it's not, especially for this, because it's like, at least in Nightcrawler, you know, his his partner that he sort of brought in with him, you felt for him because he was stuck in this fucked up world. You know, you didn't necessarily feel for Hall's character, but in this, it's just like everybody's just fucking each other over and they're all getting what they deserve. And uh, it's not satisfying in that way. And like yeah. I said, I felt like the the portrayals of these characters were over the top where we just don't get a break. It's almost exhausting because they're just all so, so stereotypical of what you look. It's like, you know, I was expecting the artist to all be wearing like berets with baguettes, you know, it's like (laughs) just, there's just no possible way that the art world is exactly as, you know, it's like an SNL skit or something, you know, and uh, the performances were all fantastic. That was you know that was great about it is that you know everybody's putting on a great performance but just the way it was written is just these characters uh were like they were caricatures of yeah artists or something just that whole thing was just sort of i wasn't like offended but it was just i know people who deal in high-end art and stuff and they're nothing like that i mean sure they're hipsters but they're these people are just so fucking <laughs> these people are just so fucking full of themselves and the way they dressed and acted, there there were some funny bits of it. it I mean, Jillian Hall definitely gives a Patrick Bateman esque performance where he's mm. a lunatic that you know is driven by greed and his love for art. And there's some some scenes where a character's like they're at they're at the funeral of one of the rival uh, art dealers, and he's he's basically ripping on their choice of color for their own casket and that kind of thing. Wow. That, that's that's sort of, that's funny just because you know but but once again it's sort of like an what is this like an SNL skit or something it's just I don't know but overall like the the kills are awesome you'll see some um, inspirations from other horror movies I'd say uh, and Gyllenhaal always kills it he he does a great job of playing this asshole but I just didn't I, I feel like maybe the writing was just uh, too much for me but. Yeah. It's definitely worth watching. I just, I think maybe I just had very high hopes after Nightcrawler, and you know, not every director knocks it out on every movie. This yeah. is just, except sort of, M Night. 
No, <laughs> so I'm just kidding. After Earth. So, uh, anyways, so what that I was the name of it. After Earth, yes. <clears throat> so what I, from what I can gather, it's just like this movie is just like okay, who can be more pretentious than the next, you know, prick, right? Yeah, pretty much, and that's like I said, it's tough when everybody's like that. There's no character that you can relate to because it's just all these people. I guess I, I might take that back slightly. There's um, what is it, Natalie Dreyer from Stranger Things? She's the sister, Will's sister. Uh, mm. She's in this, and she sort of plays an assistant, and she bounces from like art dealer to art dealer. Uh, and she might be the one link that you have because they're all just—they all just sort of beat her up because she's the like receptionist or the assistant, and they all basically she's trying to get her foot in the door of like the high art world, and everybody's taking all their frustrations out on her. So she's like bouncing from from a uh, dealer to dealer and basically just getting shit on and talked down to the whole time. And, uh, you sort of feel for her, but other than that, you know, I haven't seen it yet, but I, uh, I got the like vibe from it and maybe this is a way to get Mike to watch it, but it still had kind of a bucket of blood vibe to me. Oh yeah. I, I saw the trailer and I, there. yeah, uh, I, not, I got that vibe when I watched the not trailer. Not that you can't watch a movie about art and art dealers and shit going bad in a horror movie. And not not think about think about blood. bucket of blood, but it had kind of that vibe to me a little bit from what I could tell out of the trailer. Whenever I think of uh, art in a horror movie, my mind goes uh, straight to that uh, Tales from the Crypt episode with Tim Roth. Yeah, well, it's funny you say that because uh, some of the reviews I was reading or or what people were talking about, they were basically saying this is either. This is like a Tales from the Crypt movie, like it's a you know an episode put into a full length movie, and that it fits sort of in this whole Black Mirror thing. I would say more Tales from the Crypt than Black Mirror because Black Mirror has more of a twist and supernatural stuff. This is pretty straightforward, but uh, mm. I can definitely see that comparison. Cool, I know I'm pumped to watch it. Yeah, I, I'll love, sit- I love Nightcrawler too. I'll just I'll watch it just for the actors. Yeah, Jake's dreamy. You can't deny it. <laughs> and I'm a I'm a big Tony Collette fan. So yeah, <coughs> yeah, Gyllenhaal. You know, he's like I said, he's one of my favorites, and uh, he could be in the biggest Hollywood movie and the smallest indie movie, and I'll I'll watch it because I love the guy. I as soon as I saw you know I saw Donnie Darko when it first came out, and I was like, oh, this is I love this guy. He's cool. one of the he's one of the like two or three that make me question my sexuality. So <laughs> <laughs> two or three. That, so there's Jer- Jared Leto's up there. Kurt Russell. I mean, come on. Did you like uh, Southpaw? That was good. That was that's one of my tops of Jake's. I even thought Source Code was awesome. That's just me. I don't, I don't know if I ever saw Source Code. Brothers, that was good. Zodiac, of course, was awesome. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's one that, uh, we're, we're not going to go down the whole, like, Jake Gyllenhaal <laughs> road, but there's there's one I'm trying to think is, like, Highway or something, where, I'm, I'm, now I'm on the IMDb page, i got to find it. Life, Life, he's in that, that's fantastic. Oh, fuck, yeah, yeah. I love Southpaw, Demolition's fucking cool. Uh, Prisoners is awesome. Yes, Prisoners. End of Watch End is of awesome. End of Watch was good. 
Yeah. Uh, Love and other drugs had some nice boobs in it, so that was awesome. <laughs> uh, Never saw Jarhead. Brokeback Mountain's good. I don't care yeah. what you say because I just w- I wish I was in there. Uh, highway, <laughs> highway is the one I was thinking. That one has Leto in the and Oh, that's the one, huh? Blair, Leto and Gyllenhaal and Selma Blair. Give me a break, man. Jeremy Piven's in there. Oh shit, you're done for. Yeah. Oh wow. Highway. Anyways, that's what I watch, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Can you pull that sound bite for me? I will. Broke back mountain. I just wish I was in there. <laughs> just wish I was in there. <laughs> <coughs> okay, so let's get into um, our non-horror films discussion on this horror film podcast. So, three directors that are most notably known for horror films, um, but you know. They don't have to always do horror films. So. I'm gonna I'm gonna take that quote too, and use it against you probably someday. Someday. Uh-huh. I'm trying to segue here, uh-huh. um, but I think out of the three films that we chose, um, I'm really hoping we'll answer the question tonight: Who has a better ass, Mark Singer, Ed Harris, or <laughs> um, Jeff Bridges? I'm glad your son walked in when you said that <laughs> sentence. I'm sorry. <laughs> so jason why don't you start us off which movie should we talk about a first question well oh man where to start um let's see what kind of time do we have left we can talk about night riders Courageous knights roam the land, searching for adventure, ready to brave any challenge. Knight Riders. The knight is a fighting machine, disciplined in mind and heart, and noble to the death. Knight Riders. Action. Adventure, romance, heraldry, pageantry, and magic. Magic got to do with the soul, man. Only the soul got destiny. Night Riders, they ride for the crown. They fight for honor. That kid thinks I'm evil Knievel. That kid thinks you're William the Knight. You're his hero. I'm not trying to be a hero. I'm fighting the dragon. Following a dream as far as it will take them. Because a legend lives as long as someone believes. This isn't just a roadside carny anymore. Not for some of us. It's a lot more than that. It's a whole lot more. You know that, Morgan. You guys is the most fun I get in my life. I just don't want to see you all break up. You think it's breaking up? It's money, Billy. It's all to do with money. Money makes the world go around, even your world. Small town jails is uh, uncomfortable places. <laughs> Damn uncomfortable. Throw down the gauntlet. Take up the challenge. A new age begins. Romance and adventure live.
Knight Riders, the legend is born. Just get it out of the way. Uh, yeah. I don't know if I could do it in a half an hour uh, I know. before my well, son goes to bed. Uh, this <laughs> is like one of the few George Romero movies I had never seen. And the dying. Most of it was out of protest to give Mike shit, just so he'd have something, you know. I'd have some fuel for him. Yeah, and what I loved out. about this episode for us is that both of you, unprovoked by me, in our uh, group thread, <laughs> both commented on the running time. I didn't have to do it. And <coughs> that is what he Jason's given me shit about with this movie for decades, yeah. is that about the running time. He's but he gets pissed at me whenever I say anything about any other film's running time. Well, yeah. And before we go too far, I know you, you're listening to this at a later date, but happy birthday, George A. Romero. Yeah. Hmm. Today's his birthday, right? Is it today? I believe, I believe it so, is. Yeah. yeah. He, he knows he's dead, right? <laughs> I'm aware, okay. but you can okay. still celebrate oh, a man's okay. birthday. You've you've seen the man's movies, you know. They're they're still not <laughs> technically dead, you know. Right, could, exactly. If anybody, that. you know, we can celebrate their birthday after their death, it's George Romero. Come on. Damn straight. Good point. So I hadn't seen this before. I don't and what I don't you guys? Well, I don't think you I have not. You guys are the only ones that that do complain about the running time of this movie. It doesn't uh, bother uh, me. There is bother see some comments in the a lot of other people do too. It should be called Gone with the Night Riders. <laughs> <laughs> so so much so to that like on the IMDb trivia, oh. it obviously has to be a disgruntled uh film watcher uh leaving a bad joke, but it's there's a there's a uh trivia on um Night Riders that says uh, George Romero's original cut of this movie was 17 hours long. <laughs> Can't be true, but very it, funny guy. It took an entire night, writers, to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> so, what? Did, I, I wasn't paying attention. Was this everybody's first time? Yep. Mine, yeah. Yeah. First mine, and last. Mine as well. Last? Oh, I, my God. <laughs> I think, I think he made it last time. so long is because he just wanted to spend more time with like Christine Forrest because he eventually ended up marrying her from this movie. <clears throat> he ended up marrying. They got married on the last day of um, filming. Yes, uh, because the filming of the movie there was a lot of issues um, product with the production. It rained a lot, and actually, a tornado took away one of the sets on the first day. And so there was a lot of issues where they were only expecting, um, like, uh, I think, like, six weeks of shooting. Turned out to be, like, the whole summer. And Christine had thought that she had planned the wedding far enough in advance that the filming would be done. But no, they ended up having to get married on the last day they were actually filming, which was all second unit stuff. And since George wasn't there to supervise, a lot of the second unit stuff, unit stuff was unusable because it was a lot of like close-up shots of people, you know, wheeling swords and stuff off the motorcycle, but it's like close-up shots. And so they were always using the wrong hands in these second unit close-up shots. So they couldn't use most of the footage. Hmm. So they still managed to find two and a half hours. I mean, all this... A tornado took out oh their my shit. God. They, they had a what is going? 
Can we just think, get to the movie? Get away from be, the running time. You think that would the movie, be they please? have less movie than? How much did they shoot if if this was uh, what they had left? So Night Riders. <laughs> so Jason, you started I, this one. I uh, well, buddy, I liked it. But like uh, right be- right before I went and watched it, I've had you know, we've been friends for twenty thirty years now, and I've heard you talk about Night Riders ad nauseum for most of them years, and but the like the day before I went to watch it, I'm like Mike, give me a little bit of the, I don't know what did I say, like what's why the, I love it, wh- why you love it, and I took what's the, I took notes to hopefully better. Explain myself if you wanted to. I figured you might ask me that question again. Yeah, I was gonna. But, like. I don't know. So he listed off. He And he just wouldn't stop. He just kept going <laughs> and going and going and going. I don't want to take that away from him if you want to say it now. But, like, I watched it and I'm like. Did I. Oh my God. Do I see any of those things? Is this just. Like you're you're like going it well, this means this, and this is actually an allegory for this, and this is this uh, means this is kind of like a this is a this really is the subtext is is his uh um his life in Hollywood and it's about it's very autobiographical yeah. and I'm watching this and I'm like I don't see any of this you I don't just see, see any of it none I just see. Are you shitting gr- me? No, because I'm like I'm not looking for that. I think you're looking for that. I, I see it. No, not. Okay. But like I'm just saying, when I watched it, I saw a movie that's a f- fantasy film about these characters in this story and doing this story, and it was over. And it was still good, and I liked it. I'm like I didn't need any of that stuff. You that hour of stuff you told me before <laughs> I watched it to I can to enjoy it. I just. It's not the, and maybe if I watch it again through your eyes or with you, you know, if you, you watch it through my eyes, you wouldn't see half of it. I need right. glasses. Um. <laughs> you need new glasses, but uh, I don't know. Like I'm just, and I don't know if you told me. And I know you weren't telling me all that just to like give me more reasons to like the movie or whatever. But like, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I thought obviously, I think watching Dawn of the Dead, you clearly see the subtext and what's going on but with Knight Riders I didn't see or think or feel any of that I just saw this fantasy film that's takes place in that well you know there is weird cool knights but motorcycles but the story about Ed Harris and and coming to yeah I didn't I didn't see any of that stuff you told me see like as much as I love George Romero, man, and I do, and I love all of his subtext in his movies, I could be the first to admit uh, he's not very subtle in his subtext. You know, he's he's pretty with well, his yeah. messages or whatever. It's they they're pretty in your face, and I feel like Knight Riders is is blatantly in your face. I I can kind of see really? himself I didn't see as. Any of it. I could kind of see himself as the as the Billy character. You know, he That's wants what to. He said. Yeah. That's exactly wants, what I said. He can oper- he, Basically, his you know traveling Renaissance jousting fair is basically 
that's Romero's film work, and he wants to stay operating outside the studio system, and the studio system is basically these, you know, other people wanting to come in and take, you know, the Morgan character and morph, and, you know, and they want to be, basically, he wants to be an independent filmmaker, and the studio system coming in is, you know, the other guys, you know, that want to change his traveling fare. Is that what you're getting at? Yeah, yeah, it's it that's the the thing right there. It's all about the uh it's all about like um when do, when is it that you sell out? Like the, there you go. You know, when, you know, f- as far as comparing it to George's career, like um when do you call yourself an artist and when do you consider yourself sell sell a sellout but yet still expecting to live through your art? And be able to sustain yourself through your art, and at what point are you just kidding yourself by not not following not following for the system? Well, I don't. That's not the subtext. That is the story. You connect that to him. I'm just saying I enjoyed it on the surface level of the story. Oh, good. You know, and I I liked it for that. You know, good. It because is a story. I think at the end of the line, I don't care it what is movie a story it is about a guy faced with that decision and that's yeah great i don't care who the filmmaker is or what the movie is or what the filmmaker's intent is yeah the storyline and the entertainment value of that storyline has to always come first yeah Yeah. Yeah. who cares about subtext at that point so cool then it gets into land of the dead where it's like which came first the subtext or the story yeah you know a little bit a little bit so yeah I know that we have like almost two and a half hours of movie, and we 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 couldn't have cut out Ed Harris, Casey <laughs> ass flogging himself to start this. No, Just, why, Mike? Uh, why? Why answer? Why is this movie so long? Why is it so long? Not and again, I'm the last person to complain about length, other than this to you, just to give you shit. But I, I think. Film's running time is 100% arbitrary, and it's society that's got us into this 90 minutes or fucking sucks if it's any longer. And, you know, the movies, if it's good, it's good. It can be as long as it wants. I want four, five, six, seven-hour movies. But if it's good, it's good. I'm just saying, does this need to be two and a half hours? I'm asking you. Does it need to be, or why is it? Both. I'd say on the (laughs) most simplistic level of why is it, is because if you really stop and think about it and you really look back at George's filmography um, and, and the, the history behind his, some of his films, you would learn that uh, I think that's just George as a writer. He just doesn't know when to stop writing his story. Um, I mean, Dawn of the Dead, that's a long one. Sure. You know, um, Martin, I think its original cut was like almost three, three hours long. Uh, he talks about it on the commentary track. There is a single print out there of of like a three hour cut of Martin that and you want to see it and I want it so bad. <laughs> um, Day of the Dead was supposed to be like three to four hours long, but it got it got cut way down due to budgetary reasons. And actually, a good chunk of Land of the Dead was supposed to be was supposed to be what part of Day of the Dead was. That's right. So yes, yeah, I think that has a lot to do with it. That. Uh, that's just George as a writer more than anything else. Um, 
does it need to be? I I don't. The running time flies by for me. It really does because I feel like there's so much going on, and that is due in part of the ensemble cast, which I love movies with ensemble casts, uh, and this one has a giant ensemble cast mm-hmm. that doesn't necessarily give everybody their equal due, but there's a lot of story threads going on that 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 you can follow and follow many people's arc throughout throughout this film and because of that we're we're stuck with a two and a half hour movie because we want more ken forey he's just not in yeah. there much and, and, and ken forey sadly <laughs> is like one of them that doesn't get yeah. much of an arc but man he definitely he he definitely uh catches your attention when he's on screen but man. really i'm busting your balls because like i mean i still it was more about addressing those questions uh pre-watching the movie and but after watching it, I agree. I I don't think that it felt long. I enjoyed it all. I don't know what I would cut out either. Yeah, you know, it's all cool stuff. I but. think I think that it was pretty ahead of its time in terms of uh, talking about homosexuality, oh, and yeah. they didn't do yes. it in like in a negative in a negative context for Pip. And then he, you know, he finally got, you know, some, he didn't know really what he was. And then yeah. he finally got Those somebody some awesome like, scenes. yeah, if, if we get out of this alive, will you be my lover? And he screams yes into the microphone, which is hilarious. Um, I love seeing Patricia Tallman in this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. How cool was that? Which, yeah. And well, seeing, well, wow. a lot more of her than I'm used to. Um, I mean, it's just a big role. We only have her in little roles. And, and this was her first film, too. Yeah, so this was great yeah. seeing. And, you know, he, she worked on, I remember seeing her in Tales from the Dark Side, and then, of course, uh, she went and did the remake with with, Sav- with Savini in uh, Night of the Living Dead. Night of the Living Dead, yeah. And, so, she, uh, so she's kind of been part of that Romero family after the fact, and that's definitely one thing I took a lot of notes on. Um, this is so much more of a family fair of film. Um, but yeah, Patricia Tallman, and not just not just those films in particular, or Tales from the Dark Side, but um, she has a tiny, tiny role in Monkey Shines, and she did some stunt work. She went through a huge phase there for a while where she just did stunts, mm-hmm. um, and she and um, she was, I think, Laura Dern's uh, stunt double on Jurassic Park. Okay, um, but she also um, is somewhere in Dark Half, and she's also. Somewhere in Two Evil Eyes, so awesome. she's done. Wow, she she's she's worked with Romero quite a bit. So I wish in a bigger capacity, yeah. like in Night Riders or Night of Living Dead, and not just some like little cameo or yeah. noticeable stunt work. But uh, still cool. <coughs> still cool that she uh, is part of that family. <clears throat> Did you guys also notice that Joseph Pilato, fro- who played Rhodes? In Day of the Dead was in this as well. Oh yeah, as a, and as and, a, oh yeah, and his henchman, another guy, another guy. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Yeah, Anthony. both. Yeah, yeah. During that scene where they're they're having the uh, the council meeting and yeah, and Ed cool. Harris just goes off and and a he's $20 like twenty dollar fine. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. And so yeah, you got Joe Pilato and um, the guy who played Miguel. The guy who yeah, played Miguel in yeah. day, so two guys from Day of the Dead, they're together yeah, that cool. in that scene. 
But um, a big Savini role. That was awesome. But that's also Joe Pilato. That's not his first Romero movie either. He yeah. was one of the police officers in the dock scene in Dawn of the Dead, yeah. which he has a bigger, much bigger scene in the Italian cut of that film. Yes. And yes, a huge role for Savini too as Morgan the Black Knight. Elite. And he was th- great. Yeah, yeah he, I thought he was great. Totally. And that's the thing. I love all the performances in this movie because, again, one of the things I like about Romero's writing um, style is that uh, he's definitely more of a shower than a teller, and um, you know sometimes, sometimes maybe to the de- detriment of things where like I'm kind of confused exactly what this is supposed to mean. Um, um, but uh, there's a lot of cutaway shots of people looking. With emotion in this movie, <laughs> but but they all do good at it. It's all it's all good stuff. Like oh man, I I get I get teary eyed every time I get to the end of that movie and everybody's there at the funeral, and just Savini there with Christine Romero, in the, you know in the rain and him just like just staring off like as a, like a lost child, don't not knowing what to do. Um. You know, with his dead friend, you know, oh man, it just kills me every time. Even worse so now because it kind of makes me think of George, of how that probably that's how that you know. Yeah, I see first. first I literally ball like a baby now because when we got that, we were coming home from days, uh, not days, um, Crypticon on St. Louis. uh, On the way home, hour hour away from home, and we get the message that George Romero had died. And the first, I, I just told myself, first thing I'm going to do when I get home is just shut off all the lights and watch a Romero movie. And it had to be Night Riders. Mm. I'm getting nervous, though. Tad's been really quiet. <laughs> uh, <I> mean- <laughs> <laughs> See, that pause was too long. Just like you said. Too big a pause. I mean... <laughs> we've all we've all eaten at medieval times, right? Right. Like, I have not. I'm just I joking. Uh, I don't know. I, I like to. Uh, I just like to uh, give Mike shit. This I didn't. Isn't it fun? I mean, I I you know, even if this movie, as far as this list goes, was my not my favorite, uh, and by far not my my uh, favorite Romero film, it's still, you know. A lot. I, I don't. I fail to call it fun, but it's definitely entertaining. It kept my attention for two and a half hours, which says something. It does. Uh, I uh, I sort of threw it on in like the morning. I was laying and still laying in bed on like a Saturday last weekend, I think, and I ended up just sitting there and watching the whole thing in one sitting without any distractions, and it was, you know, it was uh, just sort of crazy. I mean. What is this movie, man? Like, yeah, if anything, you're like, I got to see where this circus ends. <laughs> yeah, Where's yeah. I mean, at, you know, what a cast of of weirdos. Uh, <laughs> the idea, you know, that yeah, George Romero, he's making a movie about knights on motorcycles, and he gives Tom Savini a lead role. It's like what. What? What? Yeah, I don't know, man. It's like none of this makes sense. It shouldn't. This movie shouldn't exist. Um, what's right? the What's the podcast? How did this get made? That's right. There. Absolutely. 
<laughs> no, <laughs> instead they happens. did monkey shines. Oh. Speaking speaking of Tom Savini, this this movie straight up gets a thumbs up from me. The fact that he came back to you know the original Renaissance Fair that he came from, like literally dressed as Ace Freely from Kiss. Right. I love that part. <laughs> they're, they're out. I thought of Kiss right away. I was like, are they a cover band now? What the fuck? Those outfits, oh, motorcycles. Man. You're gonna get me going, man. You're gonna get me going. Like <laughs> that's part of the parallel, man. Those those cheesy ass, like overproduced outfits that obviously is freaking foam rubber and serves no yeah. protection. You know yeah, that is like totally that is totally how how George sees the studio system, man. This, Just this throw a the- ton of money at it so it looks all shiny and nice, but uh, serves no real purpose. Yeah, those that they look like they fished a, like foam noodles out of a kiddie pool, and this okay, okay, you're wearing you're wearing this. Awesome. <laughs> Are we ready for my two cents? I haven't even started. Oh, those weren't even your two cents. <laughs> Go. I'm trying to let everyone else talk. Yeah, hey, I'll. You... I'm, I'm sorry. Tad, did you have anything else? No, you go ahead, buddy. He's like freaking <laughs> out here like a rabid cat. So this is why I love the movie. Yes, I feel like this is his most autobiographical film, whether it was intended to or not. Um, especially, and, it, and it's interesting because especially where it lands in his career at the time, because this is coming from failure after failure after failure of getting to make the movie he wants to make, but then treated like shit when it came to distribution there's always vanilla you know didn't even get distribution season of the witch flop crazies flop martin some success now we're starting to go but this is also with martin when he finally partners up with richard rubenstein who is a producer actually knows what the f he's doing then you got dawn of the dead dawn of the dead so successful that united artists gives him a three-picture deal and the first movie he decides he's going to make with a three-picture deal with a studio is Night Riders. A movie about a guy who is trying to live, by hi- live his life by his ideals, thinks that, uh, um, you know, thinks that everybody sees him as like Evil Knievel or something flashy commercial product when all he's trying to do is... Slay the dragon, as he says in the movie. <laughs> <clears throat> Some of his troop, including Tom Savini, leave to go do the sellout Literally, thing. and in the movie. So, well, yeah, look what happened with <laughs> Savini after Dawn of the Dead. He became the, the he became the poster child for special gore, special makeup. Gore. He was the Fangoria cover guy. For like he was he was a superstar he was a rock star and he you know we love Savini but he um, he went for it he he lived that rock star life so I don't think it's a conven I don't think it's coincidence that Tom Savini played Morgan in this movie (laughs) by any stretch of the imagination and the fact that I think like. George at his career is at a crossroads of like doing things completely independent, but now facing the world of studios, the studio system that he writes this movie and he writes Ed Harris the way he is like Ed Harris's character 
um, Billy, he's kind of freaking crazy in this movie. He's a little, mm-hmm. he's, he, you're just never really quite sure if like his ideals are, are the way to go or if he's just gone over the edge. And I think that's, I think that was on purpose, you know, whether it was subconsciously or intentional, that like George just didn't know, didn't know what his future held as far as um, that taking that next step into working in the studio. And we saw also how unfortunate that happened for him. I mean, he, you know, Knight Riders, you know, failure, but he got to do Creepshow. Um, he got to do Day of the Dead, Creepshow, you know, quasi-successful, you know, Day of the Dead, not so good. And then just, unfortunately, just struggled from then on out in his career. So, like, this is an independent guy that just always seemed to struggle to find his place in the world of cinema. Um, and again, that's, that's not, not just Billy, but most of the people in this, in this film, you know, you got Pippin, the, the guy who's trying to come to terms with his sexuality, trying to figure out where his place is in the world. You know, Christine Romero, same thing. Tomboy woman loves Uh this jerk of a guy, Morgan. Um, where's her place in this world? So, um... I that's why I feel like the movie is extremely autobiographical. Um after uh okay. Um I already said that. Uh and it, and also like in the production itself, I think parallels it as well the fact that he brings his own troop in, his troop of 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 followers, the people that are going to do what they can, follow him to the end to make his vision a reality. There's 95% of the people in this movie has either worked with Romero before or worked with Romero again afterwards and was part of the Romero family. Like Richard Rubenstein had been his producer since Martin um, and continued to be his producer after Knight Riders. Um, You got um, Donald Rubenstein who um, scored who scored Knight Riders, he scored Martin, he also played one of the uh, musicians in the film. You got Michael Gornick, his DP, who is his DP all the way back to Martin. Um, There's even Bill Heinzman, the original original zombie from Night of the Living Dead, who worked worked in the camera department on a lot of Romero's earlier films was the DP on Crazies. Even he got to come along and, and play a little bit in Knight Riders. Um, again, you got Christine uh, Forrest at the time, uh, his future wife. They get married during the production of this movie. And this movie plagued with disaster, going on the, the film shoot going on way longer than it should have. Tons of crazy stunts in it. Again, were people following a madman, or were they all just truly believing in, in Romero's vision? How can it not come across? How can there not be parallels to Romero in this movie? Um, I love it more than just that. Again, I mentioned that I love movies with ensemble characters, and this is movies filled with it, where you can, you know, pick a character and kind of follow them throughout the film. Whether it's somebody who has a full arc, like Pippin, or um, or Angie, or even the fun little side characters you just like to watch throughout the film, like John Amplis playing the uh, the the mime in the film. You love the Amplis. I do love the Amplis. Again, 
Um, another Romero guy. He was the casting director on Dawn. He you know played a couple small parts in Dawn, and he was Martin in Martin. So, um, <clears throat> and I feel the film uh, gives a, gives a lot of these characters their own story. Uh, the the stunts are fun. Um, and taking this into context of the first time I watched it, so we're talking, you know, 20 plus years ago, back then, I had not seen stunts like that before in a film, especially an independent film like this, where, where like, people's bodies are not meant to contort that way when, they're, when they um, hit the roof of a car running at full speed on a motorcycle. So, I mean... Granted, we've seen way better stunts up to this point now, and action is like, you know, action scenes are way out of control and stuff, but at the time, this was extremely impressive for me. Um, this is probably uh, um, one of the last great examples of George's use of imagery and his editing style, uh, giving you details in the story without needing any additional dialogue. <clears throat> this is the last one that he direct or that he edited himself, but he didn't edit alone. This is the first time he worked with uh, Pascal uh, um, Bubba as the editor. Um, they edited together, but then Pascal would continue to edit Romero's films uh, all the way up to the dark half after that. So there was still a lot of that Romero sen editing sensibility since they got to work together on this movie in the future films. But there's just something about that uh, that Romero touch. Um, not as much coverage as, 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 uh, say like Martin or, uh, Dawn of the Dead, but you can still feel that, uh, some of that, uh, editing style from Romero in this movie. Um, there's, uh, in a lot of Romero's work, uh, there's themes of magic versus reality going on. Uh, Knight Riders is spiritually oriented, um... It has this idealistic code uh, of the troop, um, and especially with Billy, you know, the whole thing of like slaying the dragon or having to fight the the bird, you know, uh, the black bird. Um, <clears throat> you know, and you got you got uh, Merlin, um, the magician, um, who's the doctor. Um, doesn't ever actually do anything magical. But when somebody gets hurt, he's using modern medicine. So, uh, but then in the second half of the film, uh, you've got the morally corrupt business ethics, or or the modern, or um, as it's related to in the film, as the modern day dragon threatening Camelot. And then, if you are a fan of story of Camelot, I like the idea of they've they've taken a lot of those story elements of the Camelot King Arthur storyline. And put it into this modern setting. So, um, you know, that's, uh, that's the condensed version. <laughs> that that I is the Night condensed Riders. version, surprisingly. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah. Any questions? And, well, uh, I just want to add good. Uh, did anybody laugh their ass off when they saw, like, the sexy Savini photo shoot? Oh, I yeah. lost oh, my it. Gosh. Oh, my God. It was awesome, you know, because all his other guys, it's a great scene because that's like a great scene right there of like Morgan starting to realize that this lifestyle is not the way it should be. 
Like maybe Billy's right because he looks miserable, and all of his all of his friends are back there laughing their asses off off at him in that ridiculous cod piece. Yeah, um, I did have one question for everybody because there's one scene that um, that I've always I've always I've always felt has been highly up into interpretation, and that's when um, um, shoot I can't remember the other knight's name, kind of Billy's right hand right hand knight. The one that Al, Alan, Alan, yeah. When Alan, um, when Alan decides to go back to the troop, but first he drops Patricia Tallman back off at uh, at her house, ditching her. Um, yeah. And like, so one, why do you think they? Why do you think he dumped her? And I. Two, when she's sitting there and then the lights come on in the house and she basically mouths the words, oh, fuck. Like, what do you think What do you think that meant? Well, I think she was just using Alan to, like, get away from that crappy life that she had. And I think Alan got smart to it. You know, she was just using him as an out to get away from that crappy home life. You know, I, and I think he really, of course, he loved Lynette anyway. He had the hots for, you know, Billy's girl. And I think yeah. Billy knew that she cared about him, too. So I, I think that Patricia Tallman's character, uh, da, 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 Julie, was just literally using him to get away from this crappy home life. See, and that love triangle, too, really parallels the Camelot story, too, between um, Billy and the Queen and um, Alan. With uh, you know King Arthur and Guinevere and um, Sir Lancelot, so yeah, and then so and then there's that moment she's sitting on the porch and the lights click on, and and my whole thought is like, I listen to the commentary track and they kind of laugh at that scene because she's mouthing the words "oh fuck" and they think it's supposed to be a funny moment, but that scene always kind of terrified me because my next thought is like that's gonna come out and beat the shit out of her. I thought what was coming next. Because it was obvious in the scene where Alan picks her up to leave the house. The mother's Mm -hmm. been abused by the dad. Again, all done through visuals and no dialogue. Well, I mean, all it really says is, is is that because of me? Yeah. (coughs) I could go on. It's pretty good. That's pretty good. I'm glad I finally watched it. Thank you for finally watching it. I'll have to find something else to give you shit about for the next 20 years, but <laughs> I'm sure that won't be a problem. Nope. <laughs> All right. I'll shut up for a while. Why yep. don't we, uh, Tad, what should be the next one we talk about? I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> uh, <laughs> now that we've talked, you know, f- for uh, the feature run length of Night Riders about <laughs> Night Riders. <laughs> I'm going into my favorite of the group, which is no surprise. Uh, I'm going with John Carpenter's Starman. In 1977, Voyager 2 was launched into space to the outermost regions of the universe. It carried an invitation in all languages for alien life forms to visit our planet. Someone, somewhere, listened and accepted our invitation. Someone is coming. Someone like no one she has ever known before. 
Can you clone a living organism from the hair of a dead man? We're hypothesizing a technology that's probably 100,000 years ahead of us. He has powers we cannot imagine, and the face and touch of the man she loved. I said greetings. What's the matter with you? How much English do you understand? I understand greetings in 54 planet Earth languages. Do you seriously expect me to tell the president that an alien has landed, assumed the identity of a dead house painter, and is presently out tooling around the countryside in a hopped up 1977 Mustang? You're not from around here, are you? Figure what it would mean to talk to a being from a civilization like that. Figure what we could learn. You don't understand, there isn't much time, please. He doesn't want to hurt anybody. Can't you just leave him alone? What the hell ever happened to good manners? We invited him here! So far to come. So much to do. So little time to fall in love. Look up. Company's coming. John Carpenter's Starman. I love this movie. Um, when I sort of got deep into Carpenter, this was one of the last ones I saw. And, yeah, me you know, too. and I, man, there's just nothing, even, even Carpenter's, you know, what's considered Carpenter's worst stuff. I just still love it, man. And this, this is not, I'm not saying at all that this is considered Carpenter's bad stuff, but I'm just saying, that the guy can't do wrong in my book. And uh, to me, if you did not, if they did not put Carpenter's name in the opening credits, you could really, you know, a lot of people wouldn't believe that he did it because it shows that he has so much talent outside of the beloved stuff that we know and can direct the hell out of anything he's given, you know, and it's sort of a, bummer that he wasn't given more stuff like this if he wanted it because you know he we know him as like the master of horror and he's embraced that and he's had a whole career based around that but i always felt like he sort of wanted to be taken a little more serious and you know he never got that full-on western movie that he wanted to do and this to me is sort of like not his masterpiece but it just shows how much range john has you know the movie's pretty simple uh a meteor or with containing an alien crashes on earth takes the form of uh, jeff bridges which is pretty good form to take on because he's a little cutie <laughs> in this <laughs> young, young jeff bridges uh in a really creepy transformation scene where he goes from oh you know, my yeah infant to full-blown dude and yeah it's it's a heartwarming story because he takes the the form of a guy who has passed away and he sort of uh very confusing for the widow who's lost who who happens to be up at night watching old home videos of her husband who passed away in an accident uh played by karen allen who i love in this she's fantastic in this everybody's great mm -hmm. in this but you know she's 
this one pulls a lot of my heartstrings, especially like as far as Carpenter movies go. This one uh, really gets you going. It's it's very much like Carpenter's version of a Spielberg movie. I mean, it's yeah. it's yeah. really fucking good. And and uh, Jeff Bridges got nominated for an Oscar for this role, which is great. Uh, just really damn cool. I feel like it's often forgotten because you know everything in his uh, filmography sort of overshadows that we all remember the horror stuff, but this one doesn't necessarily get a fair shake as far as, uh, you know, his best work It's it's really, really good. It's just so damn cool. Uh, you know, I, there's not a whole lot after that, the story, they, they sort of, she, she's trying to get him back to home. Basically. It's a lot. Some, it's very similar to a lot of those sort of alien stories, but this one's not really a whole lot of supernatural. It's, Sort of uh, somewhere between E.T. and Encino Man, because uh, <laughs> <laughs> and that's probably I'm probably the first and only person to ever make that stretch there. But uh, yeah, Jeff least. Bridges, you know, he's he's not from this planet. His character, his you know, he's taken the human form, but he doesn't understand uh, basic human rules such as traffic lights and hunters and stuff like that. So uh, he's sort of learning as he goes. And there's some some uh, humor in there when he he runs through a yellow light and nearly kills a bunch of people because of his uh, he he's learning from Jenny, who's the uh, widow in the movie. But yeah, there's there's some fun little uh, appearances. Ted White plays the deer hunter in this movie. He uh, you know is most known for playing Jason Voorhees. That's sort of a cool little cameo in there. So Carpenter directed Ted White. Uh, that's one of my favorite scenes when he resurrects the deer on the hood. It's just, oh yeah! Uh, oh yeah! And it's just he Jeff Bridges plays this. Uh, damn, he just plays this charming, uh, goofy, innocent alien. You just care so much about him, and you care about her. It's just man, like this. Like I said, this one really, as far as Carpenter stuff goes, it pulls on the heartstrings you really he really did a great job of making you feel for these characters uh and of course the performances out of those two are fantastic too so but i think andy has something to say i can sort of uh, feel it <laughs> um yeah i i wanted to agree with you before like you said if you took carpenter's name off of this i mean you could easily insert spielberg Zemeckis, Donner, I mean, any of those really great um, directors at the time. And it's just like, I feel like Jeff Bridges, he's like, he's like a giant man-child in this. Like he, he's, he learns, he's so impressionable because that's how he's, that's how he's learning. He's absorb, he's absorbing all the knowledge. And that's why he's like, he's running a light. I mean, he's learning how to drive a car, but I mean, he's at the same time, he oddly enough through this movie, we see that he has as an alien that's, um, so impressionable and he doesn't really know much he's actually a better human being than some of the human beings that are out there and he's got he's got more humanity in him because i mean like like you said he resurrects that deer you know and uh like there's the scene you know where they're at the the diner 
And this is where it really pulled on my heartstrings because, you know, imagine losing somebody you love and then you're looking straight across at them and it's, you know that it's not really them. And he asks you, define love. Ugh, yeah. And I'm just like, oh, my God, man, what the hell? You know, um, I love the fact that, you know, of course, Ted White, but I love I also love the fact I will watch anything that has Buck Flower in it. Yes, Buck Flower. Um, uh, oh, what's 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 another one? Uh, Define shit, uh, which, <laughs> you know, uh, oh, man. Uh, and he has so many very, very true words and it's uh it's even relevant today it's just just how he speaks about humanity i think you're a very primitive species and i'm just like yeah yeah we we, (laughs) you're not wrong there we pretty much are you know it's like um i think you're intelligent but savage uh Uh, after, you know, her near-death experience, she starts treating him as if she if she was Scott, you know? Like, she really yeah. was. Her husband's just like, you You just went away, you know? You didn't even say anything, you know? I mean, that's like, that's like real couple yeah. talk. I mean, it's just like, you know, you, you just left me there when she was trying to get away from him from the get-go to, of, of the movie. And it's just... It's it's so it's so sad that he has to go away because there's a time lock because if he doesn't go he dies. Um but that they, they I love the fact that you know they they build this this really really strong bond and it's 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 a, it's a damn good movie. <laughs> Just it's it is. It 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 really truly is. It's it's a it's a gem. I really, I really do. I, I really think it's good. Um, and the fact that she's driving like a very insanely rare car in the beginning—I mean, it, <laughs> even though it's like the ugliest, it's like the ugliest of Mustangs ever produced. But it's a Mustang Cobra too, and those like are like worth their weight in gold. But that's but that's besides the point. But, uh. And I feel like eventually I'm literally going to say the words when Daniel and I are on the road. Eat. We must do that. We will stop at food station. <laughs> <laughs> you kind of anyway, have to. Anyway, that, that's, that's, that's all I got. I think, uh, you know, the one thing that sort of sets us apart, because like I said, it sort of, there's several movies that follow this, uh, I don't know, this outline or formula the story where you know an alien who you feel for falls onto earth and someone has to save them and get them home uh a couple things that set this apart obviously the angle that he takes the form of her dead husband and that that definitely right there very brings on the heavy stuff because when they kick off the movie and she's watching his home videos and she's crying, we don't even know her yet. And I'm already like, Oh no, like this is so sad. <laughs> and she, and she's so, you know, pretty. And I just feel like, you know, I just want to give her a big old hug. Like, and then the other thing I feel like that sort of uh, sets it apart. Spoiler. So, uh, if you, if you haven't <laughs> seen this, take a second, pause it, skip forward 15 seconds is, uh, 
he ends up giving her a baby that you know she she desperately wanted and that's another one where the way he sees it you know he's very like you said he's very sort of um how do i say it he's 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 not as emotional he's sort of like you know i gave you baby you know he's he's just for matter of fact about it you know here it is uh if you don't want it i can take care of it now but you know this is a gift to you because and, he saw her needs and he was paying right. attention he was being a better human than humans right exactly and, and wanting uh, to help and make her happy and i i remember uh the first time i showed this to nikki you know i was like you know she's like oh well you wouldn't watch i'm like you should have you ever seen starman she's like what's starman i'm like it's sort of a Carpenter's Spielberg movie. She's like, "What does that mean?" I'm like, <laughs> "Oh, you'll well, see." It's his, his his one movie that doesn't have like, you know, uh, like ridiculous blowhards or any like, you know, mur- like bloody murders or uh, anything. It's just a straightforward like his most probably his most like straightforward you know mainstream movie you could say. And she watched it and was like, "Oh man, that was really really good." Uh, yeah, it's just, uh, I was sort of looking over, it's one of those ones that I feel like uh, I have a little bit of a hole in my, like, I, I feel like I know almost everything about every Carpenter movie except for this one, mm-hmm. and I need to brush up on my my uh, learning on this one, because there's a lot I don't know about it, but I was sort of, well, after watching it this time, I was sort of looking into the uh, the credits and seeing that, you know, the writers, they did... Uh, they did some other stuff. Let me see. What was it that... Oh, they did Stand By Me, which is another one of my favorites from that, that time oh. period. Uh, the two writers are Bruce Evans. Evans. Reynold Gideon. Reynold Gideon. And yeah, they did... They both did the screenplay for Stand By Me, which that was like a staple of my childhood. So I, that's... Mm-hmm. I love when you make those little connections. It's like, oh, you know... And I, I think Carpenter's a great writer, but, you know, it just shows that you know he can just be a great filmmaker in general give him a, a, a script and you know some money and and uh, some good a, a good cast and just make a damn good movie you know what i mean it, it sort of bums me out when i see it because it's like as much as i love everything clearly he's my favorite director of all time it's it's almost like a look at what could have been you know like yeah. andy andy was just saying he listed all those big name directors you know this Shows that Carpenter could just be right up there in that echelon of major Hollywood directors if he if he would have been given the opportunities. Because it just shows that you know, to me, this movie is as uh, is up there with the best. You know. Yep, and he never did get the break from it. And... Well, didn't somebody get? Wasn't there an Academy nominated? Jeff Bridges. Yeah, Bridges okay. got nominated for lead actor in it. So. Think of that, like right. John Carpenter directed a movie where somebody got an Academy nod. So that is a huge bummer that, yeah, things went south for him. Well, this was sort of after things went south. <clears throat> after he lost his big deal. After this was after the thing. Oh yeah, which, which is sort of interesting because really people sort of look at Carpenter's history as like leading up to the thing and then the fall <laughs> after the thing and in. You know, it's it's it was sort of a, a happy accident because he went back to doing some lower budget horror stuff that we absolutely all love. But it, this one sort of smack dab in the middle. It came before Big Trouble and after Christine, 
and uh, you would never know between those two movies. This has nothing to do with them, you know. And sometimes, yeah. I, I, like I said, I don't have uh, as much knowledge on this one. I sort of watch it and wonder, you know, if if Carpenter wanted to put Kurt Russell in that role, uh, or how. I need I need to listen to the commentary to see if you know if uh, that was the case or if you know how Jeff Bridges got involved with this. Did, do any of you guys know more about that? I I don't. Mm-mm. Um. Some reason you know I just assume that like any time a, a thing pops up like this, he wants Kurt Russell in that role. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I- I really like this movie. This movie is a, nostal- a huge nostalgic piece for me. Some of my fondest movie-watching memories was going, spending the weekend at my sister's house, and we'd, and we'd rent movies and watch movies, play board games and stuff all weekend. And I remember this, uh, this one always um, is one of those that stands out in my memory bank, uh, mo- mostly because of that beginning scene where he grows from a baby to a full man because I remember that scene freaking me the hell out because that baby did not look normal. No. <laughs> it was it's like a, a creepy, glowing, yeah. yeah, glowing rubber thing. Yeah, that's <laughs> the creepiest looking baby. It was like right off of a garbage pail kid's card. <laughs> <laughs> and then when it's like he's teenager age and his head stretches. Oh like, yeah, like mm-hmm. that's probably the one, shit. when yeah when he's a teenager his head stretches is probably like the one part of it to me that sort of looked a little too rubbery, you know, cause we're just so spoiled with, you know, the American werewolf transformation, stuff like that. It's always the, the bar that we compare things to, but it doesn't take me out of this at all. There's a few, no. few weird scenes in this, you know, where they, the effects don't really hold up great, but the movie's still fantastic. I like the fact that his transformation, he had to take like, something that was actually scott's because he got he got his hair and you know he adapted his cellular structure to that it wasn't just like you know the guys from critters come down they look at a picture and then boom yeah. you know they're they're that they're that person i mean there's there's like a he little bit actual of, dna yeah there was actual yeah. substance there which you know as soon as you see the hair you realize okay well yeah that's that's what that's there but there's the other side of me it's like Okay, I get it. Your husband's dead, and you love him, and everything. You have a wad of his hair. That's it's, it's a little creepy. I don't think it's not normal. <laughs> I think it's pretty normal. Yeah, I mean, everybody, and just more sad than anything. Just yeah. adds to the heartache for her. And how awesome is Karen Allen? In this she's movie? so great. Oh yeah, and she she's the whole movie. I mean, watching Jeff Bridges go through it you're like this guy is great but it's her that we're following and it's her, her arc yeah. yeah oh yeah uh, i mean what a career for her too you know she's had an amazing career but like she's such a charismatic presence i feel in anything that she's mm-hmm. in and and a gorgeous woman and i'm not i'm not meaning saying that on any kind of pervy level like i usually do um <laughs> it's just because there's like a um there's a natural look to her, you know what I mean? Well, yeah, that, that I, I mean, really like. When you when you stepped away for a second, I said the sort of same thing. I said, you oh. know, she's she's so uh, 
charming and pretty you just want to like reach you the screen and give her a hug at the beginning of the movie exactly. you know we don't we don't know her at all but but we're already feeling for her right away oh my yeah it's like empathy city like from the get-go yeah mm-hmm. there's one thing I mean, about this movie and her though that like in this arc with uh him being her dead ex-husband like obviously it's sad for her throughout the movie and obviously it's hard for her but what I think I like about the movie is that there wasn't uh there wasn't like a big scene with her losing her shit about it. I don't know how to explain it. Like she just I don't like know, a, I like not, not a real freak out moment when she sees her dead husband standing there or right, being it, it kidnapped seemed, or anything. It like seemed that. more internal her journey with dealing with her dead husband being in front of her and I liked that more than her externalizing it throughout the movie, if that makes any sense. No, I We didn't have a big scene of her dealing with it. But we, yeah, but we didn't need that. And, yeah. and that's what I liked. I don't know. Exactly. That was one of my favorite choices in the movie was that we didn't have that and we had to just silently struggle with her through it. I thought that was cool. A cool choice. I- I got a sense that her performance portrayed a sense of uh, relief, but like a, a big Ugh. sense of relief and disbelief at the same time, because all logic points to her. There's, there's no way this guy's my husband, but, but at the same time, oh my God, I'm so glad he's here. Oh, just the opportunity for closure for anyone yeah. is just, yeah, the weight. And you, you fe- definitely feel for her. Cause you know, you can tell throughout the movie. I mean, you don't have to tell just what the story is, but she flip-flops back and forth at some point. Yeah. She's, she wants to board that bus and take off at the diner, and she looks yeah. out the window and sees him resurrect that deer, and she's like, you know, instantly out there defending him. Mm-hmm. You know, she quickly flip-flops because she knows, you know, she's struggling with the idea that this isn't really my husband, but regardless, even if it didn't look like him, he's, he's pure good, you know what I mean? He's just... And he has... She'll she'll sacrifice everything to help him. So, yeah, and that deer hunter. Did we all catch who that deer hunter was? Yeah, Mister yeah. Ted White. That's right. Which, as soon as I saw him, I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. He did some stunt work on this movie too, like some of the car stunts. Because at um, I think it was Horror Hound in I can't remember where we, he there was a panel. There was a Friday panel. And he told a really cool story that I don't remember. I was I'm looking at Jason hoping <laughs> he would remember. I have no help for you. A really cool story about scaring the shit out of John Carpenter on the set of Starman. Oh, yeah. Don't remember it. Yeah. Good story, bro. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen this since I was a kid. I saw it real early and loved it, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I haven't seen it since then, and oh man, it still holds up it's so awesome mm-hmm. i want one I, of those little silver balls i watch yeah. it this is like good phantasm frequently. yeah i watch this one pretty frequently actually i probably see it oh I've, last i saw it was probably a year i mean sometimes it pops up on like stars late at night and stuff and if mm. it if if i see it on like a movie channel a game over man i'm watching it but uh i 
you know, I had the DVD, watched that f- a few times, and then just like you guys probably do, when you want to watch a movie and all you have is a DVD, you're like, well, I better upgrade the Blu-ray, because if I'm popping this back in, I, I want high definition, so... And that's I, I was well, excited and got the new Scream Factory release because yeah, I'm like, wait, yeah. the, old, the one I have is in Panascan. Fuck that. The same same thing with me. The DVD I have is a, is that shitty Panascan. Yeah. So I'm so grateful you got that Blu-ray because that Blu-ray is good. gorgeous and yeah. widescreen and the, yeah, the new interviews are cool and yeah, I, I'm with Tad. I should get into those commentaries and learn a little more about it because this movie really does rule. Well, Who do they sure. have on the commentaries? Um, there's one. Uh, where'd it go? Oh shit! I thought it. Nope, is it doesn't Bri- say. Is Bridges, is Bridges in any of them? I'm trying to. Let me see what I've got on my uh, disc here. Oh wait. There isn't any because it's nah. the shitty pan and scan, you freaking snobs. <laughs> well, it, the, the, there's new interviews with Carpenter, with Jeff Bridges, and script supervisor Sandy King Carpenter. All three of those have new interviews. And then it has the old uh, making of on there, too, which is pretty great. Um, it's got some cool stuff with Charles Martin Smith. And he's really, it's, it's cool seeing him. Um, shit, I need to. Well, Bridges, Bridges is like, to me, he's up there with uh, Kurt Russell and just one of the coolest dudes around because he embraces, you know, his his characters that nece- weren't necessarily big, and he embraces the ones that were big. He's just uh, he's the kind of guy that you know he's he's a huge huge movie star, and he'll come back and do a special feature for Starman, you know. And I know yeah. he was nominated for an Oscar, but it's like there's so many people who would look back on that and be like, ah, I don't need to revisit that. I'm not, you know, why would I go back and talk about it? Bridges has always been very cool about that. He'll, he'll talk about the most obscure yep. shit from yep. his career and, and embrace it, you know. Cool. Yeah. So, yeah, the commentary is with Carpenter and Bridges. Oh, man. Oh, nice. Together. I've heard it's on YouTube for uh, those of us who are stupid and bought the standard Blu-ray before uh, Screen Factory put it out. Mm-hmm. Never buy a goddamn John Carpenter movie because they're going to they're gonna get the rights to it and then they're going to put it back out <laughs> a year later on in Steelbook. Yeah. It's true, yeah. though. Wait for, wait for the Starman Steelbook in a year, Jace, and then a, who will have the last laugh? <laughs> uh, well, that's why I just ask you what you bought and then I'll just wait a week. There you go. <laughs> Probably the best option. <laughs> Yeah, gosh dang, this movie's so good. One thing that was really cool, uh, the second time I saw Carpenter in concert, he played the theme for this, and I was like Aww. freaking out, because I'm like, that's so damn cool. Like, why, out of all the stuff you think Starman would be the one thing he would skip out on? Right. And he did it, and it was rad, and I felt like that was a time a lot of people in the crowd went and used the bathroom, but uh, I was Aww. loving it. Yeah, I came right home and downloaded the, the score. Just... It's cool. Of course you did. Yep. Can't recommend it enough. Starman. Yeah. Yep. So that leaves us with one movie left. Yeah. Woo! Yeah. Yes. And yes. A- Andy, you want to uh, share yes. with us what oh, that movie is? You're goddamn right I want this one. Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> I- 
I watched this on Laserdisc, okay? Fuck not, that yeah. I, not that I had to, but it, it looked, <laughs> you know, I had a better view, viewing experience with this because it's like it came from like, it must have came from like a really crappy transfer because I saw the pops and scratches and the cigarette burns in this and it just made oh, me enjoy oh, cool. this much more. I actually would love to see a 35 millimeter of this oh, with like a too. bunch of my friends. Um, let me let me explain something about this. I oh. mean, because real quick, this, you, no one said the name of the movie yet. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Uh, the Beastmaster, 1982. This is oh. a Don Coscarelli film. Who Woo! who is who made Phantasm one, two, three, four, and. Uh, Five is out there, yes. Um, <laughs> it was foretold by witches. It was conceived through sorcery. And it was to be destroyed by all that is evil. But the courage of one mortal saved it. And so, into an age of darkness, in a time of mysticism, sacrifice, and plunder, there came the only light. The Beastmaster. Born with the strength of a black tiger. The courage of an eagle. The power that made him more than any hero. More than any lover. He was lord and master over all beasts. Ah! He was the Beast Master. Behold the wonder. The horror. The fantasy. The challenge of the one warrior they called the Beast Master. Mark Singer is Dar. Tanya Roberts is Carrie. Rip Torn is Mayak. John Amos is Seth. Together, they take us on a fascinating journey back into unexplored times. Conquer your fears. Face the unknown. And discover the incredible link between man, animal, and all that is phantasmagorical. In the world of dungeons, dragons, and Dar. The Beastmaster. The epic adventure of a new kind of hero. The Beastmaster, 1982. Uh, This came at the height of the sword and sorcery, you know, uh, boom, back in the early 80s with Dragon Slayer, Deathstalker, Kroll, you know, etc., and I got to say something about this. Back when I was like, say, 10 or 11 years old, if, say, if I wasn't watching Total Recall or The Last Boy Scout or I Come in Peace, which I would love to do a commentary on, by the way, um, <laughs> I knew that I could depend on TBS because yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, um, because that was like uh, that was it was like the B station. It wasn't Turner Broadcasting System. Yeah, it was it was the Beastmaster station. Yeah. The Beastmaster <laughs> station, the Bloodsport station, the yes. Blues Brothers station. I knew that I could go there, and normally I knew that I could catch this. I 
love this goddamn movie. Me too, man. Um, wow, where do I start? Well, first of all, I'll, I'll get this out of the way since, you know, <laughs> um, Tad has had a few um, homoerotic references here. I never thought <laughs> the, the dad from good times in basically sadomasochistic gear would be such a great part of my childhood, but apparently it was. <laughs> um, wow, you have Mark Singer, you have got Tanya Roberts, you've got John Amos, who I just mentioned. We've got Rip Torn, who plays uh, Mayax, which is, which is our heavy. And I heard that Klaus Kinski was originally offered this role, and oh, yeah. no, no offense to Rip Torn, how delightfully apeshit would this movie even be <laughs> with Klaus Kinski playing Mayax? But yep. but right. I think it's because they had to deal with all these wild animals. They they're like, oh, we don't we don't want more we don't want one more with Klaus Kinski, so we'll just uh, go with Rip Torn instead. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. Um, basically, this the story of Beastmaster. It's about this cult leader named um, Mayax, played by Rip Torn. And the prophecy of these three witches that he's, uh, you know, you know, who are his minions that are dancing around this cauldron, they say King Zed's son will eventually kill you uh, in the, in the years to come because this Zed's, uh, Zed's son is is unborn, and basically uh, King Zed he gets wind of. Mayax's occult activities and and that his son is to be sacrificed. So he banishes him and he says, You're lucky I don't even kill I don't kill you. So basically uh Mayax goes and uh he gets banished to the the outland with the Juns, who are these, you know, these really bad, badass characters who you know, basically kind of look like Lord Humongous uh, from uh, uh, Mad Max, but we'll, we'll get to them later. Um, so before he's banished, uh, he basically sends this witch out to uh, Zed's son. But in order to get to Zed's son, basically she, she kills the queen, but during that time, you know, she... she you know, she paralyzes them. She puts like this glow stick fluid on their on their neck, but it doesn't matter. You know, it it, it, it subdues them, and she transfers his son into the belly of this cow. So eventually, she gets Dar out of the belly of this cow, which I can only assume since he was in the belly of an animal, which gives him his telepathic powers to control beasts. Ah, uh, I didn't even get that. Uh, I'm, 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 that's it, you know it's subtle. I mean that's I, I think that's the only that's good, way that you can actually can explain it. Other than just plain being the chosen one or whatever. Yeah. 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 So basically, <clears throat> uh, the witch tries to sacrifice this kid, but before she brands him with the sign of R, which is that looks like the temple, you know where where the king uh, or where the king uh, lives, but it's the temple of uh mayax and it's and it's forever scarred on his hand but he's eventually saved by a villager and he's uh he's raised up an emerite which eventually in total conan the barbarian mode the juns come in 
and kill his whole village. So he has to get revenge of against, you know, the Juns. And basically, before this time, as a kid, he saves his <clears throat> adoptive father by, uh, you know, making sure that a bear doesn't, you know, kill him, you know, telepathically. But he buries his, buries his father, and he sets out to, you know, get his revenge against the Juns. And eventually he uh, comes across these beasts... And basically, he knows he can control them. Uh, and then he gets uh, he gets wind of you know what's going on in this village, and that Mayax, you know, is you know basically sacrificing children. And he ends up. I don't want to spoil the whole thing, but he ends up you know saving the village and. Uh, he ends up meeting his real father, who eventually uh, just basically disregards him. But he, he links up with the John Amos character, and basically uh, his uh, his younger brother, which is the other king's son. But it's un- it's it's completely un- unbeknownst to other characters in the film. Um, what else? What else am I missing here? Uh, Guys, you want to jump in at any time? He meets, he meets Tan, Tanya Roberts on his travels. Yes, to the temple. Oh yeah, meets her. Which, and which there's Perv Mike back. He's back. <laughs> which is which is another peculiar thing. Um, Tanya Roberts, <coughs> her uncle, and so basically, um, uh, Dar is making out with his cousin for you know his first cousin, by the way, through like the majority of the film. Uh, it's it's really cool in this film that he uses his his strengths he through the animals he has yeah. uh, basically a, a tiger disguised as a panther in this <laughs> film and uh, he has two ferrets who are his, who are his little thieves and he basically sees through the eyes of a hawk which is kind of like his scout and. Uh, yeah, I must have seen this movie a bunch of, you know, at least 75 times when I was yep. a kid because it was Same. always on on TBS. The he, he meets up with some uh hawk cannibal people which which come into play at the, you know, at the end of the movie and he mm-hmm. like they Cover them and they drop bones into a pile of green Alka Seltzer. Gave me nightmares for years. Those freaking huggers loved them. Um, There's they they there's these weird. uh, I mean, these there's more guys that are dressed up like the gimp in this thing, and Uh they've got like the the whole they got the whole Judas Priest armband things that like (laughs) hack at you and stuff. And um, as far as I can tell, they pour like you know either predator blood. Oh, yeah, yeah, predator blood or reanimator fluid in there, and they go completely (laughs) ape shit. Um, Yeah, this movie is very hard to describe. (laughs) I'm sorry, but it's but it's so it's so damn fun, and it is a gold mine for like a freaking riff tracks episode. Also Um, true, yeah. 
But yeah, I, I, guys, I would love, I would love to hear your take. Uh, other than the fact that Dar, when he when he first meets Kiri, he basically sexually assaults her, which is you know kind of creepy. Uh, but yeah, guys, uh, j- jump in with with, with, with <laughs> what you got. I'd love to hear it. Well, I'm on the same page as you. I saw it on TV a million times. I grew up loving this movie. Maybe not even knowing why. But I just knew I did because I saw it so much. I, I For me, it was always the connection with the animals. I just thought that was such a neat, not gimmick, but, you know, such a neat thing. Like, I think it's because of this movie that I fell in love with the show Manimal. You know, just men, con- connection with the animals. I don't know. I just thought it was cool as shit. Um I also really dug the weaponry in this in this film, particularly Dar. You know, the Conan and the Barbarian sword is very iconic, but Dar's sword was more streamlined and and looks like you could actually use it better. And the tossing hatchet, which yeah, I that wanted one of those so bad. <laughs> when, when I was a kid, I wanted one of those so damn bad, but I probably would have took my hand off. So it's, but you know, mm-hmm. it's it's beside the point. I want a pair of ferrets, man. Those are those are like my favorite part of the whole movie. Oh man, when Tad come, he like in our group, he's like, if <laughs> yeah. those fer- one of those ferrets dies, I swear to God, I'm throwing something. And I'm like, and nobody answered you, of course, because we kind of all yeah. knew. But hopefully, the ending made it okay. Yeah, I uh, this was a first time watch for me. Oh, awesome! Yeah. Uh, so you know, it's it's. Uh, <laughs> The nostalgia is not there for me, so uh-huh. I could. It, it really is sort of. Uh, but but I love that kind of movie too. You know, it is what it is. It knows what it is, and it knows exactly what it's going for. So uh, there's no beating around the bush with this one. There's a, there's the scenes where uh, he falls into the quicksand and the ferrets save the day. It's so yeah. damn cheesy, but it's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, scene where the fucking bird pulls the the kid out of the volcano. <laughs> uh, there's yeah. just so, so many of those scenes where it's like, holy shit, this is bad, but it's so entertaining for some reason. Uh, one thing I thought when he's carrying the dog and it, you know, it's like dead. It's like, how do they get a uh, dog to act, to act so limp and dead? Did they have a real dead dog? What's the deal with that? I think if you look very closely when he lays, can, yeah, the, lays the dog dog back down on his to his father, you can kind of see it. You can see him breathing. Yeah, if you look closely so, enough, you could see the dog. I breathing. assumed it was yeah, some tranquilizer of sort. I I heard it. that they that you cannot since you cannot truly train ferrets. I heard that they had to have like twenty five to thirty ferrets for this movie. Whoa, good god, the ferret budget! Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, ferret wrangler on set. And um, I heard that Rue his his the die because Rue is a, Rue was a tiger. Yeah. And that his Definitely dye would come off his his cheeks because, so much because he was constantly getting something to drink. Mm. You could tell that it changed every, every oh, shot. Oh yeah, the consistency cheeks. of the the black dye job was not. Yeah, it wasn't very so consistent. Funny, though. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I love it. And if you're but, passing it off as a panther, you know, I'm sorry, you know, you can tell a difference between a tiger and a panther. Clearly not a panther, yeah. yeah. A tiger not, has a much bigger face and a bigger head, and it's, you yeah. know. 
And they that's what he that's what Casarelli wanted was a t- uh, panther, so that's that's why they painted the tiger black. But I think <laughs> they went with a tiger because a panther was is less trainable. Yeah. I mean, think about this. You're watching this movie all the way through, and this and this is absolutely this has to be Coscarelli's most like his as far as his whole filmography, the most normal film he's ever done, right? <laughs> <laughs> there's there's a movie there's a movie in the middle of his filmography. God, what is the name of it? I think it's like some kind of actiony film, at least based survival on the name quest? that I've. Yeah, Survival Quest. Okay. I, I don't know that movie at all, but I think that one is his most normal movie. It's, it's but, a weird thing. I sh- I feel like I should have seen that because I think it's got Lance Henriksen in that. Yeah, right? it it does. Or if you want to count his first two movies. I've not seen um, Jim the World's Greatest, but I have uh, Kenny and Company on DVD, and it's just the day in the life of a bunch of kids in in, in junior high um, around Halloween time. It's a fun little flick, but uh, um, but yeah, yeah, it's, it, it's weird to say that Beastmaster is definitely more normal than his more well known films in his filmography. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he's still, you know, John Dies at the End is something I really enjoyed, and it's mm-hmm. another insane movie. Yeah. Everything he's done, I mean, his Master Bubba of Hotep. Horror. Yeah, Bubba Hotep. Uh, obviously, all the Phantasm movies are what he's known for, but, you know, it's not even, like, you could argue, I don't know if you consider Bubba Hotep horror or not, has horror elements, mm-hmm. but uh, it's... Is definitely same. I mean, same with John dies at the end. It has horror elements, but I wouldn't necessarily call it a straight horror movie. But you know, they're definitely way more out there than than this. And this has, you know, trained like stealing ferrets and <laughs> yeah. This thing's this thing's nut, should be nuts. But for this director, it's like oh, he's pretty restrained in this one. <laughs> exactly. Because because I can sort of understand what's happening. You know. <laughs> I would I would be interested to see the, if Joe Bob ever had this on uh, Monster Vision or anything. It'd be interesting to hear what he has to say about this. No shit. Yeah, totally. On the it wouldn't. Go ahead. No, I was to say it wouldn't surprise me if he he uh, had this on one of his several shows. Yeah, it's worth looking up. It it's interesting too because um, it's definitely his most ambitious film up to that point yeah. as well. To go from like Phantasm and his two earlier films. To something with like real live wild animals in it, like Beastmaster, and and I haven't read his book yet. Jason was awesome enough to get it for me for Christmas. Uh, cool. Um, True friend, yeah. So I can't wait to read it. But just listening to him on podcasts and being interviewed on podcasts and stuff, his directing style back in those days, like wow, I can't even imagine this film got done. To be honest, on the weird ass korean-ish type dvd that's out there of it there's a special feature that's basically 20 30 minutes of just home footage or behind the scenes just they had a they had a camera a documentary type guy just rolling some eight millimeter 16 millimeter film of of beastmaster of beastmaster throughout the whole uh yeah throughout the whole making of and sweet it blew my fucking mind like the budget and time they spent on this movie, they show so much behind the scenes of building the pyramid and how much was real, what's the facade, what's this town they build, and then they, you know, like, 
how they shot some of the scenes to make it look like more when they had to do less and a lot of nice tricks and tips but just watching it the takeaway really was just like and i feel like all three of these movies it's like and i can't verify it but it feels like they have the biggest budgets they ever had on these three movies it feels like well yeah i mean that's interesting i didn't even think about that aspect of it too it was like this is completely world building. Everything you see in this movie had to have been built because yeah, it's a fantasy it was, world. I thought they said it was like some yeah. army base out in the middle of nowhere and they had the run of the whole land. So if they had to make something work, they could just go over there and build it real quick and make it happen to get the shot they needed or whatever. Wow. I, I like the landscapes in this. I thought those were really, 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 really well. They worked good. Um was the other note I had? Uh... My notes were: uh, love these ferrets. Ferrets are awesome. <laughs> 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 oh, I, I love the opening credits scene. That was really cool. Is uh, like like sort of uh, high contrast photos of different animals, wild animals, in like poses in action poses over like they're red over a black screen. I don't know if you guys even know what I'm talking about, but uh for some reason I really like the opening credits. It was unique. Sure. Yeah. I I did like the fact that um that you know, magic, you know, pays a price in this, you know, cuz like when like Seth takes a stick and he stabs that eye yeah. in the ring that's basically spying on everybody. Um, the witch, the witch's eye gets taken out, you know, in real life. I, th I thought that was kind of cool. You know, don't mess around with sorcery. It's just so I know how much I love this movie and I know how much nostalgia goes into that. And I just never once crossed my mind how it must appear for someone to watch today <laughs> having no nostalgia so tad i guess i'm sorry or not sorry i just like <laughs> it just it must be way different and maybe not as good <laughs> i don't know also thought i just yeah i also thought king zed was you know even though he unknowingly denounces his son um calls him a freak i was just like man you're an ungrateful fuck for getting saved from a damn dungeon <laughs> right okay guy pulls him to safety and he calls him a freak and he tells him to go away i'm like you're a dick wow <laughs> now the only other note that i had um you mentioned like a lot of the cool people in the cast um you know it's got a lot of great people that i really like you know you mentioned john amos and i've always been a fan of his since i was a kid watching him as the father on good times so anytime he shows up in something, I I'm I'm sold, and you know Mark Mark Singer, I was such a V fan back in the yeah. day. Mm. Um, yeah. Uh, but uh, the young version of Dar, the little kid Dar, was played by Billy Jane, also at the time went by the name of Billy uh, Jacoby, um, who you would recognize from Bloody Birthday. Good Hospital yeah, Massacre? He's in Cujo, yeah. Um, but uh, some of my favorite films of his, uh, she, she's one of the guys. Oh, 
Uh, uh, yeah, just one of the guys. Or just one of the guys, which I love that movie, and he is one of the scene-stealing characters from that film as the perverted younger brother. Um, but yeah, Parker Lewis Can't Lose. Uh, he played Mikey on Parker Lewis Can't Lose, which I'm a huge Parker Lewis fan. So I've always been a fan of him. Um, and he got to share a bed with Sherilyn Finn. Fucking asshole. <laughs> <laughs> and then he was in a, uh, out of nowhere, he was in a Dave Dakota film, Dr. Alien. Yeah. That I, so, like, I've always been a fan of him, and I'm friends with him on Facebook. I've always kind of wanted to message him, you know. But I chicken out. <laughs> I didn't even mind Rip Torn's nose makeup this last time. Oh. Huh? Neat. I wondered about it, but yeah, yeah. You're right about those hugger things, though. Oh man, nightmares! Like, like I never watched this one as a kid, but the first time I ever did see this movie, you know, I, I was like, this those things would have scared the hell out of me. Yeah, they, that, they feel creepy now. Yeah, yeah. Between that and the children, I'm surprised I hug at all. <laughs> that's a good point. As much as oh you like gosh. to hug, that's weird. Yeah, dang. <clears throat> Beastmaster, I'm so happy. <laughs> yeah. You're happy you got Beastmaster. I'm happy because I got Night Riders. Dad's happy. Dad's happy he's got Starman. Everybody's happy. <laughs> cool. It's well, a good. It's a good episode when uh, I feel like Night Riders was my least favorite and it's still a lot of fun. So yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a yeah. good episode for sure. Cool. So, yeah, so, uh, hey, 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 we haven't done this in a while. Any honorable mentions of uh, horror, horror film directors that have worked outside the genre? Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, yeah, there's tons. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think. Oh, my, my other first one I thought of um, once we, after we decided on these movies was Sam Raimi's A Simple Plan. Yeah, that's it's still kind of close to crossover, I feel. You think there's uh, it's a horror movie? He did a qu- The Quick and the Dead, the gunslinging movie with uh, just, Russell Crowe. Yeah, it's great. I just know that I loved A Simple Plan. Simple Plan is great. I've always, always, always loved, and one of these days... Maybe I should have done it for this episode because one of these days you guys got to see this movie if you haven't already. But Crime Wave, I've always loved Crime Wave. It's a goofy yeah. movie and it's a mess, but there is no other film that truly shows Sam Raimi's love for Three Stooges than Crime Wave. Hmm. And yeah, it's 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 a fun movie so goofy as hell but what about you guys yeah what about anybody else honorable mentions my my what the honorable mention that comes to mind was like like i said uh the quick and the dead with uh by sam raimi and um a history of violence uh david cronenberg oh yeah yeah good movie i don't have uh too much other than some of the other stuff carpenter's done like uh escape from new york but it's tough for me i mean they're still such big genre movies that they don't necessarily i mean i know they're not necessarily horror but uh 
it's like Starman to me in his career stands out as that one thing. I mean, I guess you could go with uh, Invisible Man, but yeah, I don't have a whole lot of other ones because I, I start getting down to like Sam Raimi stuff. And at this point in his career, he's done more non-horror than horror stuff, right? Exactly, yeah. And, uh, you know, same with, like, I, I know some people will probably mention Peter Jackson, but, you know, he's he's definitely, he got his start in horror, but he's definitely not known anymore as a horror director. Oh, heck no. no. So. You liked Ghost of Mars? Me? Had, yeah, you said you like everything. Yeah, I, I'll watch, yeah, man. That's <sighs> how I, I like it's a romp, man. It's fun. It's like a a stupid western with Ice Cube, and it, it's dumb as shit, but I love it. <laughs> I have it's, a feeling that maybe one of these days, it's going to still be a while, but one of these days i got to revisit it. See, I, I like to rag on Mike on almost at least one movie and episode that he will defend. <laughs> you you guys finally found one that I'll defend, okay? <laughs> it's, it's weird because it's almost like um, a sci-fi assault on Precinct 13. Oh, yeah. And from what I think I've read somewhere that it was uh, sort of meant to be the next escape film or, or another version of an escape film, and then, you know, it sort of got... Uh, rewritten and restructured to be something different. You can definitely see some elements there. So, mm. anyways, that will be another episode. <laughs> <laughs> we yeah, could do one of all like uh, good directors with their worst films. You know. Ooh, that could be fun. Yeah, or painful. Like their 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 worst reviewed films. But you know, we this podcast embraces. What uh, some people <laughs> might not love. That's I mean, true. You know how many how many Very uh, much so. yeah how many times have I you know I've gotten so many first watches on this doing this podcast. That's what's great about it. So, aww, There's something yeah. good about it. Yay, man! I'm trying to trying to think of some honorable mentions. Um, Wes Craven had a couple that was out. Um, for me, I'm only gonna I'm gonna mention Swamp Thing because I don't care about his violin movie, but um, Swamp Thing. But you know, it still has its to- tippy toes in horror. Definitely tippy toes in horror. Yeah, yeah, monster movie. I uh, tried looking at Toby Hooper see if he had anything out of the genre, not feature film wise at least, um, except for a, a couple films I don't know of that he did before Texas Chainsaw. But uh, um, I, I will mention that he did an Amazing Stories episode that wasn't horror. It was actually more sci-fi comedy, which mm. actually has, um, it has Jim Seidel, the cook, the cook from Texas Chainsaw Massacre 1 and 2. He's in it, along with um, Lorraine Newman from the original Saturday Night Live cast. And most notably, Weird Al Yankovic in full makeup as the Cabbage Man from Outer Space. Wow. I got an easy one for you that you're forgetting. Oh, I'm going to be pissed. Go ahead. Porkies. Oh, oh yeah. Bob Clark. Bob Clark. <laughs> Bob Clark, but I always consider him a horror filmmaker, but I don't think anyone else considers right. him. When when the director himself denounces yeah. his, his own horror films, um, you know, he's not going to be notif- uh, remembered as a horror filmmaker. But yeah, Porky's A Christmas Story. Anything made after the 70s. 
<clears throat> but yeah, Bob Clark. Love Bob Clark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, our listeners have a bunch of good answers, too. Oh, Wilson, maybe we should take a break and find out what they have to say. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll do some segments here on Attack of the Killer podcast. You're listening to the Prescribed Films Podcast Network, home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment. The shows on this network all have a common goal, providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media. The PFPN hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy. Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening. And we're back. It's segments time here on Attack of the Killer Podcast. And as we always do, we start off with everybody's favorite. Shoutouts. It's time for... Shoutouts! 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 Okay, just asked what uh, your favorite horror director's films outside of the genre were, and y'all had some good answers. On Facebook, up first, we got Derek Patello. He says, Escape from New York from Carpenter. Woo! Is that a gray area one, too? That's, it's action. It's not horror. Nah, it's not really horror at all. Okay. No. Uh, Gabriel Barron says, Toby Hooper for Life Force and Invaders from Mars. Saw them both at the drive-in uh, as a little kid and loved them and still do. I guess they definitely lean more towards sci-fi, but I still I still think they fall into the horror genre. I'm telling you, there's, I'm telling you, there's more. It's a vampire in it, man. Yeah, it's a it's a space vampire, but there's moments in Life Force that I find extremely creepy and terrifying. So, yeah. either way, fucking kick ass to get to see those at the drive-in. Yeah, that's very that's cool. That's not fair. Yeah, canon um, K- films. <laughs> yep. Casey Kelderman says Sam Raimi's Spider-Man Two. <laughs> yep. Still love it. Yep, I like them all. Uh, Jacob McLaughlin says, John Carpenter's They Live, Escape from New York, and Assault on Precinct 13. Sam Raimi's first two Spider-Man films, and Darkman. And Peter Jackson's The Lord of the Rings trilogy. (laughs) All good answers, Jacob. I love me some Lord of the Rings. A lot. Benjamin Chi says, Wes Craven, who directed Music of the Heart with Meryl Streep. Gloria Estefan and Angela Bassett. And more recently, James Wan, who built his reputation on the Conjuring and Insidious franchise oh. before getting tapped for Aquaman. Yeah, and the last Fast and the Furious movie, too. You shut your mouth. It's he also did um, a movie called Death Sentence back in the day with Kevin Bacon. Oh, man. And was that tapped part a pun with Aquaman? <laughs> I'm going to say so. Do you guys see Aquaman? Oh man, I liked it. I still have it. With your bathroom, you still have. Oh my I know. gosh! I guess maybe not James Wan fans after all. That's cool. <laughs> Up next, we got Brian McNeil says, "I'm proud of everyone for not bringing up Peter Jackson, but seriously, Richard Donner doing Superman is why I got into superhero movies." 
Well, Richard Donner did some horror earlier in his career, you yeah. know, with the Omen and shit, so. Heck yeah. Okay. Our buddy, pal, super friend himself, Mike Reeb, says, Woo! Starman hey, by John Carpenter, Porky's by Bob Clark, <laughs> and Invasion USA by Joseph Zito. Joseph ah. Zito, Invasion USA, that's right. <laughs> I knew that was going to get you, too. Ah, oh, still with Tom Savini's special effects, though. Yep. But then, like, uh, he's another one. It's like, is his uh, <laughs> is his filmography horror mostly horror? Or uh, yeah. Just happen to have a couple of good horror films in his filmography. As as we're saying this, I do have another one. Uh, William Lustig with Vigilante. <gasps> that is a good one. Mm. I just thought of another one too, but I'll wait <laughs> just in case. Um, okay, up next we got Nate Miller. And I'm going to screw this up. Uh, he says, Luca Guadagnino isn't exactly recognized as a horror director, but Call Me By Your Name was pretty brilliant. I agree. And his follow-up, the Suspiria remake, was probably even better. I also agree. That's a that's a left turn in films. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Luca's... Yeah, you haven't watched it yet? You watch. You haven't watched this, the new Suspiria yet? Nope, not yet. Okay. I plan on I know soon. we got it, but... Good one, Nate. Um, Tim Lennerer. Fiasco Brothers, he says, John Carpenter gave us an amazing combination of a road movie, science fiction, and romance with Starman. Watching Jeff Bridges play a creature who falls in love with one human as a lens to, a view, to view all of humanity is note perfect for the entire film but even better than that sam raimi gave us a simple plan fuck yeah a shakespearean tragedy with bill paxton as the man who thinks he can still make things work out in the end billy bob thornton as the dumber brother who figures out where things are going first and bridget fonda as a cow town lady Macbeth. all do genuinely fantastic work and the movie's ending is orders of magnitude more tragic and bleak than the one in the book. I need to watch that again. That's so good. And lastly, on Facebook, we got our pal Don Anelli. He says, Ishiro Honda, who directed the horror films Montango and The H-Man, directed all the best Godzilla and Kaiju films in the 50s and 60s. Woo. Yeah, didn't know that. Thanks, Don. And then over on Twitter, um, we got Joshua Brown at Josh3bbrown. He says, make sure to watch for Ted White, Jason from Friday 4, when, you know, we're watching that Starman. Yep. And then um, we got Christian Day at Christian M. Day says, well, he replied to, oh, shoot. Oh, right. He replied. Replied to me watching Night Riders, and he says, "Rules." Period. <laughs> yes, it does. And then he says, after that, he says, "But all awesomeness aside, it's a little long." See, it's not God just damn it. It's not just us. It's too short. Yep. And then Joshua Brown comes back in, uh, replying to watching Beastmaster, and he says, "This flick was a staple of my teen years. Good fantasy camp." Heck to the yes. Mm -hmm. Nothing on Instagram, nothing in the group, but uh, remember that you 
can. Where the hell is it? You can always give us a a call and leave us a voicemail, and we'll read it on the show. Um, you can call us at 415-952-6857 or 415-95-AOTKP. Like I said, leave us your comments. We'll play it on the show. We'll get to hear your pretty voice, and that would be freaking awesome. And that's shout-outs. So, yeah, I thought of two now. Okay. <clears throat> I'll say the first one to get all the groans out of the way. Um, Eli Roth, Death Wish. Yeah. <clears throat> I liked it. I liked it, too. And then um, Steve Miner, oh, Soul Man. Shit. Oh Soul. wow, <coughs> that's a good one. I don't know if I've seen that. Never seen Soul Man. I don't think so. But you probably shouldn't in this Is that day Tim and age. Robbins? No, C- Soul, Soul, Soul Man's oh, the yeah. C. Thomas Howell movie yep. where he paints himself black to go in all black school. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, Arlie Gross. I don't think that movie's ever going to see uh, Blu-ray master release or something anytime soon. And James I'm pretty sure that... Jones what? That. And James Earl Jones is in that, too. That's right. That's right. Radon Chong is in it, too. That's where uh, C. Thomas Howell and her fell in love. They got married after oh, that did film. They? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, he's married to uh, Radon Chong. At it, least I know, I know that he was. He probably still is. It, it it just it just saddens me to know that those two actors are best known for a movie that is so politically incorrect in this day and age. So, it's yeah, it's a bummer. But and I'm pretty sure Steve has done other horror, other non horror films. He's got a pretty big body of work. I just that's Soul Man was the first one that sprung to my mind. But I know he's got a lot of horror in his filmography that puts him. I think puts him up there. Yep, I suppose you count the alligator movie as horror. Lake Placid, yeah. I think it falls into it. Yeah, falls into mm-hmm. horror. Um, you got, you know, Friday, uh, Friday two, three, three, um, House, uh, mm-hmm. Halloween H two O, that shitty uh, Day of the Dead, the first Day of the Dead remake. So. Well, anyway, now it's time for everybody's favorite segment, Insane's Picks. All right, it's going to be a short one. I didn't get a chance to do as much research on the film as I wanted to. Um, I decided to go a little bit Italian on this one. Uh... I was gonna do. I was gonna do. Uh, try to boopity. try to do um, some um, Z grade movie that's not a horror film done by somebody who does a, a horror movie to keep with the theme of the show. But um, I got lazy, so um, we are going to go with a Joe D'Amato film, an early Joe D'Amato film from 1973, Death Smiles on a Murderer. And what sprung this one to my mind was um, um, I had never seen seen this one before. I'm not as enriched on Joe D'Amato as I would like to be. Uh, he has done def- definitely a lot more um, porn, softcore stuff in his body of work than, than a lot of the other uh, um, exploitation Italian filmmakers of that era. 
So I'm not as well versed in Joe D'Amato as I would um, as I need to be, but uh, this one caught my eye because it features Klaus Klinski in it. So I'm like, <laughs> oh, I gotta check it out. So, um, and he's not in it very long. He plays kind of a an important role for you know at least ten minutes of the movie, and then like it's never referenced again. But hey, it happens. So what I could piece together of the storyline of this movie. <laughs> Is there's this brother and sister, Greta and Franz. Um, Greta, okay, so so um, Franz uh, loves his <laughs> sister so much that she, when she is killed, when she dies, um, he tries to avenge her death by bringing her back to life. To seek revenge on those who did her wrong, but we start off with this movie, and that so that's what I read as the synopsis of this, of this film, right? So I'm like, okay, I can, I, you know, this sounds pretty cool. I can be into this, you know, you know, a uh, really close brother and um, brother and sister relationship. I didn't realize how close as the movie starts off with the brother <laughs> raping the sister, um, and then eventually they form a love a love relationship with each other. Aww. So. So, um, but yeah, so after that all happens, uh, so Franz really loves his sister, um, and he reanimates his dead sister, Greta, to seek revenge on a lover who jilted her, um, and got, who got her pregnant, and the baby and her died during childbirth. So Franz resurrects her. And her first act of revenge is to cause this carriage accident that kills the lover who jilted her. But the carriage accident happens on... Wait. No, yeah, that's... that's Okay, this movie's fucking confusing as shit. Okay, I'm just going to say that right now. No, this the, the, the lover in the carriage is a previous lover that kind of, you know, did her wrong. It's not the one that got her pregnant. I'm wrong on that. Because the carriage accident happens on the property of the son of the man who got her pregnant. And so she ends up having a love affair, a love affair with pretty much everybody that's living in this house, including the wife. And the wife gets the wife gets jealous and boards her up in this wall via Edgar Allan Poe style. There's a lot of reference to Edgar Allan Poe in this movie. There's even a black cat that shows up all the time in the movie. I was gonna um, say with like all the all the sex and incest, it sounds like an episode of Jerry Springer. <laughs> yeah, so she so she thinks she's killed Greta, but Greta Greta, you know, she's already undead as it is. And comes back and kills the wife. And then she goes after the husband, um, <laughs> who's the son of the son of the man that got her pregnant. And then goes after his son. And so she's killing everybody that's done her wrong in this whole family line and whatever the F is going on. It's confusing as shit. Yeah, I, I, I'm, buddy, I'm trying here. I'm a little lost. <laughs> well, not, not a little, a lot. <laughs> it's even more confusing when you watch it. Um, and then she ends up killing her brother at the very end. <laughs> so Klaus Kinski plays... Sex with him. 
<laughs> yeah. Klaus Kinski plays this doctor who shows up earlier in the... Doctor f- Who? Yeah, exactly. Um, could you imagine? No. Uh, he shows up after the carriage accident to you know see that she's all right and everything, and he realizes that she is undead by the fact that he takes a pin, a needle, and shoves it into her eye. But after that, he's just gone, and no one's the wiser that she's this reanimated undead creature of vengeance. They just continue on with like people having sex with each other, which is common in a Joe D'Amato film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And her just getting revenge on everybody. And when he kills, when she kills her brother, she takes this black cat that just seems to be showing up throughout the film and throws it into his face. And it's this long five-minute sequence of this cat ripping apart the guy's face with this long, annoying looping cat screeching noise through the whole sequence. This movie is bizarre as hell. And for a man of of my stature, of my love for Italian horror, to say that this is confusing as hell is saying a lot. This is really confusing even um, for an Italian horror film. So, But it's definitely... I think it's just bizarre enough that it's a fun enough ride. It's only like an hour and 24 minutes long, so, you know, it's not a long ride. So, even during some of the slower moments, it's still just bizarre. You're still trying to catch up in the storyline that um, you don't get bored with. You're try- During the boring parts, you're just trying to piece the puzzle of the plot together. Um, but this definitely makes me want to watch a lot more Joe D'Amato, that's for sure. So, um <laughs> Uh, so that's the Insane's pick for this episode, 1973's Death Smiles on a Murderer. Whoa. Yeah. And that also concludes this episode of Attack of the Killer Podcast. Man, I was excited for the, I mean, like, when, once these movies were picked for this episode, all I could think of was, like, how happy Andy must be because all these movies take place in the 80s, the early 80s. (laughs) And since he yeah. only watches old stuff, <laughs> like it had to be right up his alley. Yeah, I forgot to mention that in my what what we watched, I uh, also watched Night of the Demons three, which is more the same <gasps> thing of Angela's Ooh. misbehaving and blah blah blah. So, I, out of the entire Night of the Demons franchise, I still have not seen three. It's, it's it's not bad. It's 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 more more of <laughs> the same. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. B- bad acting. I remember one of the kids, uh, one of the kids from uh, uh, from uh, Are You Afraid of the Dark episode, the clown episode. He's in it. I was just like, yeah, I know that kid. I just it's the Are You Afraid of the Dark kid whose name I can't <laughs> remember. Uh, it's just it was always a hard. It's a hard one to find the third one. Hmm. I, I, well, what it is. He's got it on I, VHS. I, I, w- I went to Lincoln for my, for my birthday, and I went to Old School Video, and I Aww. found it there. Cool. Live in our hearts. Yep. Yes. Mike Reeb. Duh, man. Yep. He is the man. Um, speaking of sequels, I, I meant to ask this when we were talking about the Beastmaster, but has anyone seen two or three? I, I have. I've oh. seen 
Beastmaster 2 through the portal of time uh, once was enough. Uh, <laughs> I saw bits and pieces of, I believe it's called the Eye of Braxis uh, of the third. Something like that. That was one too many. Okay. Uh, I will um, not search them out then. Yeah, because Coscarelli, I think he's, I think he said he sold the rights. He's listed like, as writer of both of them, but oh, maybe really? It's, maybe it's just I think characters. he's just getting the credit because yeah. he created the characters. I, yeah. I think, yeah, because I think he sold the rights off like years ago before even like a sequel was even thought of. So. Yeah. I, yeah. I forgot to mention I watched uh Trick or Treat. Not Trick or Treat, but Trick or Treat. Ooh. Oh, sweet with Sammy, Sammy Kerr, Kerr and the Ragman. Yeah, on Saturday cuz uh you know, I was I knew I was going to be seeing Mark Price that night, so I was like, I better, you know, refresh That's myself right. on this. Yeah. Gosh, that movie's fun. I love that movie. Night yeah. knock, knock, it's a big surprise. Yeah, singing on the scene. I was super sad because uh, I didn't get to like chat too much with Mark. I got I got some chat before the show, but it was mostly about the show, like getting everything set and ready for him. And then afterwards, I was cleaning up the theater, and he was sort of wanting to head out to his hotel real quick. And after he had left, I seen some people like my friend Amber got a, a trick or treat eight by ten signed by him, and I, so I knew he had them. So uh, I I was surprised that he had them with him and. You know, I would have liked to grab one, but I have a feeling he'll be back, so. Cool. Was it a good turnout for the show? I wanted to go, but. There was about 120, which is actually pretty decent for this town for something like that. Cool. Cool. I mean, our theater's really hard. You know, 120 is like a third of the way full, so we we roped off the back like 10 rows to get people to sit up front, and so it filled in pretty nicely. But uh, we're in that weird spot where we're, too big for a small comedian and too small for a big comedian so yeah yeah it's tough but uh you know that was that was a good range where we definitely made our money and uh you know concessions were good so it was a, a good night for us how is he as a stand-up i i've always I've i was always curious wanted... about that too because uh, there's not a whole lot of his stuff online like you can find some sets from like 10 years ago so i was a little leery um, but he's very funny. He self-deprecating, uh, very goofy, uh, somewhat, you know, not filthy, but he does, uh, make some, some colorful stuff, some very, uh, funny, gross bits, but mostly probably like a PG 13 to a, you know, very, uh, soft R rating, I would say. Cool. cool. He has, he had some pretty funny uh he, he is very clever he had some funny topical stuff uh regional stuff they made fun of iowa quite a bit and that kind of stuff. <laughs> nice he, he, he did a show in Keokuk the night before and oh, wow so he he uh ripped on them a little bit and he was making fun of the way they say Keokuk or kick and he was he was he was like Man, this place is so white. They have three K's in their in their city name. Oh. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and and then he was like, "Man, I was so white. Uh, they have white people working at McDonald's." <laughs> oh no! <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Skippy. Yeah, he, Skippy. Yeah, and he had some uh, Louis C.K. and uh, oh no. 
Louis C.K. jokes. He had some oh. Bill Cosby jokes. They were both funny, you know. Yeah. That nice. was good. Yeah. Awesome. And he just so, announced uh, Jake the Snake. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah. I want to try and bring my dad to that. Cool. Yeah, that... Uh, that's already like our top selling as far as like quickest uh you know amount of tickets sold quick awesome uh i sort of i sort of screwed up the first round of tickets so we had to like do some scrambling at like 4 a.m but we got it figured out so (laughs) i'm i just got too much i'm doing too much so i need to ask somebody else at the theater to help out and do some other stuff like help out a little bit because Right now, I'm doing all social media, like, you know, and doing ticketing and doing their website and doing all the film booking. It's like someone else needs to come up and help with a little bit. So, yeah. See if someone else wants to do ticketing because that's the part I hate the most because it has (laughs) everything else. If I screw up on Facebook or screw up on the website or anything, it doesn't affect me monetarily, you know? Right. So, yeah. Did we sign off the show? Yeah. Did we conclude the show? No. We didn't? Okay. So <laughs> nope. Oops. Um. Yeah, Andy just asked if we're still recording. <laughs> yes, we are. Show's still going, folks. Awesome. Um, so, yeah, that concludes this episode. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And we'll talk to you soon on the next episode of Attack of the Killer Podcast. Oh, no. Could this be the end of? Attack of the Killer